The following program deals with military and veteran issues. All comments and opinions expressed on this show are those who made them. They do not reflect the opinions of the Church of Satan or Radio Free Satan. So on with the show. to the official Infernal Legion podcast, a special Wicked Warrior of the Month episode for April year 57, Anno Satanus. We have a wonderful interview lined up for you guys today with a retired MP from the United States Army, Sergeant First Class Nick Wallace. But before we get to that, I am your host, Warlock Jeff Bowling, the commander of the Infernal Legion, and with me as always is my lovable furry co-host, Warlock Dwayne Burns, VSO of the Infernal Legion. Dwayne, how the hell are you, man? Doing good, doing good. Um, <laughs> well, hey, uh, I dropped some pounds, so I'm pretty happy about that. That's it awesome. Be such, it be such a fat fuck when I get back up there. <laughs> um, what else did I do? What else did I do? Um, <laughs> right on. Been smoking apparently. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no. Well, it's good to have you here with us. And uh, this this episode is going to be a little bit of a heavier episode at the beginning, and I'll get into that in a minute. But before we get to that, let's talk about our sponsors real quick. We have the number one most trusted news source for the United States military, Duffelblog.com. <laughs> Duffelblog is the first, and as far as I know, only military satire news site out there so if you want to get a few laughs some of them written by yours truly head over to duffelblog.com we also have the warlock emporium bespoke items for the chosen few the warlock emporium is the only source for officially licensed uh satanic warlock merchandise from magister robert johnson's book the satanic warlock you can find them at the warlockemporium.com. They are now offering a 10% military discount. Instructions will be on the website. Usually, I would announce We Are Satanists as one of our, uh, our promoted books here, and I will still do that. Make sure you check out We Are Satanists. But because it is Valpurgisnacht, that makes it 15 years since the publication of the Satanic Scriptures by Peter H. Gilmore. And the publisher of that book, Underworld Amusements, is celebrating by offering a 15% discount on the Satanic Scriptures anywhere that you buy books online. So directly from their website, underworldamusements.com, your source for curious sundries and callous broadsides, or from Amazon, from Satan Me, from wherever you get your Satanic books, you will get a 15% discount on the Satanic Scriptures until May 31st. So make sure you check that out. And, of course, I'm not going to do the joke because I want to get into uh, to why this is a little bit of a heavier episode. So, of course, we want to thank Radio Free Satan. Without Radio Free Satan, this podcast would not have gotten off the ground, and we're very grateful for them. They are the media wing of the Church of Satan. They have several podcasts ranging from music to comedy to shows like this. Make sure you check out all the wonderful shows over at RadioFreeSatan.com. You might have right. a little plug in there, Lou. No, absolutely not. Go for it. Hey, uh, today I happened to check out uh, episode 001 of Satan's Flame. Oh, yes, yeah, Satan's Flame. And, that, and that's uh, going to be uh, Magister uh, Bill M. 
He, he does the uh, um, Devil's Mischief. Thank you very much. He's very well known for his podcast. He's been doing them for over twenty years. He's he, he's just a man with a lot of a lot of knowledge and a lot of a lot of good shit. If you want to hear, it's going to be in a talk show format. It's going to also be in a call in format. They're, they're, you know, he's just whatever's you know triggered him that day to do. He's going to do it. But uh, I will listen to the first one and. He, he's got his shit together with what he's going to do, and it sounds real good. So I just wanted to throw a plug in for that one. Yeah, absolutely. Check out satansplain.com, and you can find the RSS feed for that podcast. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Uh, Magister Bill M. is a, is a wonderful podcaster, and uh, I found it funny that it wasn't that long ago that uh, all of us uh, within the Church of Satan were, were kind of griping that there was just so many podcasts. Like, everybody and their brother within the COS had a podcast. And now it seems like, uh, well, I mean, with the exception of music and comedy, if, if you want, like, talk, there's pretty much just us and now Magister Bill. <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. He made the comment. He said... Uh, the the show will not be on uh, Radio Free Satan as Radio Free Satan has decided it's not going to sponsor any more talk shows. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was just thinking about I was just thinking about us and whatnot, laughing at it. <laughs> All right, so it's time to make the announcement I don't want to make. Um, but as everyone who listens to the show regularly knows, uh, joining us for the last time, well, sort of, for the last time, is our producer, Warlock Jeff Ivans, the combo officer for the Infernal Legion. Uh, Jeff is going to be leaving us after this episode. Um, no, he's still going to be involved. Or something on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> He's, uh, he's still going to be the communications officer for the Infernal Legion. He's still going to be helping us out, but he won't be present on the show uh, on every episode. So, uh, Jeff, first of all, how the hell are you? And tell us what's going on. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I just, uh, the reason why I'm, I've got too many pokers in the fire and it's time to pull back, pull some of those pokers out of the fire. That's generally why I'm uh, bowing out of the uh, podcast on this one. Um, I'm still doing the Metro. Uh, I'll be doing that until I get to episode 666. And then that's going away. Um, and then I'll be doing a, uh, the sanitarium, which will be going away too. And then somebody lets slip that, yes, I am a nudist. And let slip like you don't let it slip every day. Oh no, I don't let it slip at all. But somebody in the hierarchy emailed me and said, "Why don't you do something of a talking podcast of being the, like a naked Satanist?" So I'm going to be doing that. That's a good at, title. Yeah, the naked Satanist. That's a good title. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to. Talk about. I hear I, I well, hear Peggy all over that. No, not her. <laughs> no, it was not her. 
no, I won't say who so, it was. And in, in no, the no, that's fine. That's fine. But once, um, do you have a timeline for when that that might start up? Um, well, basically, what's going to happen is once the metro is done, I'm going to take a couple months off of podcasting, and then I'm going to start up the Naked Satanist, and I'm in talks with somebody to host it. So. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be probably because I'm only I got about maybe another year before I uh, launch that. Because I got like I said, I got to finish off the metro. I got about forty more to go. Right. I think uh, I, something that's that's fairly common is people look at at Satanists specifically and they think that we don't have a lot going on. Thank yeah, you. because we're all about indulgence, and and we, we you know if you if you follow any of us on social media, you'll often see uh, good food and good drinks, and 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 you know uh, vacations with the families and and things like that. But uh, but all of us, every single Satanist I've met, usually has, like you said, too many pokers in the fire. <laughs> and um, uh, one thing that when we started doing the sponsors for the show, uh, I kicked myself because we've rarely, if ever, mentioned your internet radio yeah uh, company brain gel radio um uh tell, tell everyone what that is so they can make sure to find you there uh basically it's a internet metal station we play hard rock and metal uh if you want to go to the website it's brain gel with two l's dot com um i got a dj down in australia that comes on weekly um i'm basically the any news article gets posted on the website i post um i get tons of email and they're like post the story for me and i'm like uh, i don't think so uh we do have a chat <laughs> r- we do ha- well some of them are some of the stories are like well this person is this and, and i'm like I, I don't know i want i want good stories so i'm kind of right, selective right. about it but um it's a 24-7 station. Uh, we got a chat room. We got a live DJ. We got the, we got the, uh, the music going on. Um, I don't host it out of my house anymore. I moved it to a cloud server. So, which basically means I moved it to somebody else's computer. Right. <laughs> so, plus, um, uh, what is it? I'm, my favorite pub uh, will go there uh, in the town that I live in. I've been part-time de- uh, bartending and also helping out with uh, doing music and karaoke and stuff like that. So, right like on. I said, I got a lot of lot of things in the fire. So, well, I love then, you. so yeah, how long ahead. do you think it'll be, uh, Lou? Or are we taking bets on when he does the next show? <laughs> well, like I said, uh, Jeff isn't technically going anywhere. He's still going to be around. He's still going to be serving the uh, the Infernal Legion uh, in all of our tech needs. Um, so I'm sure he'll he'll you'll be hearing his voice pop in in the next few months or so uh, here and there. But he won't be full time producing the show anymore, and he won't be sitting in on every episode. Um, and uh, and I, I'm saddened by that. But this show will go on, and I, I do want to take a moment just to say. To Jeff, thank you for everything mm-hmm. you've done. I, re- I really appreciate it. And yeah, uh, we're going to have to talk because I got to tell you, teach you how to do this stuff. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so that probably also means that the format of the show might change a little bit, but we're going to be right here. There'll be another episode coming next month. Uh, and, and we've got some things up our sleeves for you. Um, but you know, like I said, in the meantime, uh, I want to thank Jeff Ivans for everything he's done for the show, for helping us get started, for giving us the end with uh, radio free Satan. Um, and, uh, just everything he does. Uh, speaking of things that Jeff does. Yes, we've heard from you. We know that there was issues with the website. Uh, I won't go into the specifics of what all happened there, but the website is back up and running, so you can visit infernallegion.org to submit a membership application or find out anything you want to know about the Infernal Legion. So once again, uh, thank you to Jeff. We'll see you down the road, brother. Um, And stay tuned. After the break, we're going to jump into this Wicked Warrior of the Month interview with Sergeant First Class Nick Wallace, retired. In 1966, Anton LaVey created the Church of Satan, marking the beginning of the Age of Fire and Year One Anno Satanus. In 1969, he published The Satanic Bible, codifying Satanism as a religion, the first time it's been done in human history. In the name of Satan, ruler of the earth, king of hell, come forth from the pit, bestow the blessings of hell upon us, for we are your children, and we invoke thee this night. In 2001, I was appointed High Priest of the Church of Satan. In 2007, I published the Satanic Scriptures, further defining and expanding on Satanic philosophy and greater magic ritual. Hail Satan, full of might! Fifty years, the Church of Satan has stood as the sole organization to define and defend Satanism as a religion. And though pretenders to the infernal throne have come and gone, we have stood the test of time and will into the future. Visit churchofsatan.com for more information and read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. Knowledge is the solution for ignorance. Hail Satan! Welcome back to the official Infernal Legion podcast right here on Radio Free Satan. This is a special episode because with us is a very special guest. Uh, the Wicked Warrior of the Month for April, year 57, Anno Satanus, is none other than Sergeant First Class Nick Wallace, retired from the United States Army. Nick, welcome to the show, man. How the hell are you? Hey, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on. Doing well. Yeah, absolutely, man. We're glad to have you. Um, so you retired this year. You're, you're fresh. You're fresh I, back in civilian life. <laughs> I am, and uh, it, it's uh, it, it's still it's still hitting me. It's, it's still still kind of taking it uh, taking its stride. I'm, I'm not back to work yet, so uh, uh, just uh, you know taking it. You still really haven't decided what I want to do, but uh, right. uh, I'm enjoying it, man. I'm enjoying that. Uh, not a lot of pressure. There's not 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 any late night phone calls or any of that BS anymore. You know? right. So uh, yeah, you still waking up at four in the morning to do PT? 
God, no, no. <laughs> I, uh, I like I go to the gym in the afternoon, and uh, uh, you know, I was never a guy that liked waking up early. I, of course, you know, I did it. I was I was a drill sergeant for a few years, and, and I got used to working those crap hours. But uh, uh, it's it's it was never anything I wanted to do. It wasn't something right. that uh, <laughs> that I, I, I did because I just oh yeah, I just want to get up at four in the morning. I was never never that guy. You know, so, yeah, I get up at about the crack of seven usually now. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, okay. So uh, you uh, you just retired. Did you do twenty or did you go over twenty? Uh, it was it was right at twenty. Right at twenty. Right at 20. I, nice. I, I enlisted in. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I enlisted in February of uh, two thousand two. So nice. Okay. Right on. Now, uh, and you were military police. Was that uh, a Bravo or were you a corrections guy? Uh, Bravo. Yeah, thirty one okay. Bravo. Right on. Well, let's uh, let's talk about it, man. Let's let's take a little trip in our time machine back to when you were a young lad, and uh, and all the recruiters are staring you down. What what made you join? What made you go army? What made you choose MP? Well, so I I was I, I grew up in a, a suburb outside of St. Louis, uh, the Midwest, and you know I was a teenager during the mid '90s, during that awkward time where the internet kind of existed, but you know not everybody had it, and certainly not nobody had cell phones. So we were. We were the kids that, uh, and I, I wasn't a football player or anything like that in high school. I uh, uh, I hung out with all the kids that uh, listened to, like metal music and stuff like that. And uh, uh, but we we did a lot of drugs as kids, man. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's just all there was to do. That's all there was to do back then. It was uh, you know go to somebody's house, you drop some acid, and smoke some weed or something like that. And uh, um, but by the time I, I moved out when I was uh, nineteen, and I lived with a couple of buddies for a year, and. Uh, that turned in pretty quickly seeing how high we could stack the beer cans at the ceiling and stuff like that. It is kind of, I, at some point I just felt like, you know, I got to do something else. And, um, I always just kind of felt like you were stagnating. Like, yeah. I always had this inherently felt like I was just meant to do something that mattered. Um, something a little bit more than just, you know, I, I knew I didn't have the discipline to go to college cause I, 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 I wound up graduating high school late. I actually dropped out for about 10 months. And, um, so college wasn't really. I didn't have the money. I didn't have the the resources to, to go. And I and I knew if I if I started racking up student loans and all that jazz that I would just wind up pissing my money down the drain anyway, and probably not even probably not even get the degree on top of it. So, um, my first choice was the Marine Corps. My brother was a Marine, and uh, went to the Marine guy, and uh, I, I I got a heart murmur. So I told the guy and. Uh, and he's like, "Yeah, sorry, but you can't, you can't join." And uh, a couple <laughs> weeks later, I went to a different recruiting station and uh, talked to an army guy, and uh, and that's that's kind of how that how that went from there. But uh, and the funny thing is, I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised they turned you down post 9/11, that close to 9/11. <laughs> I am because there was a mad rush. Yeah, he he must have just been a real straight shooter or something. I don't know because you would right. think that he just go, "Hey, yeah, just lie about it" or something like that. But uh, um, the funny thing is, man, is when I was in Meps. And uh, I was getting sworn in and stuff. I actually ran into that Marine recruiter there, and he kind of gave me a funny look. Like, hey, what's this guy doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and the thing was is, uh, you know, I I did drill sergeant and I did recruiter. And as a recruiter, I don't give a fuck if you've got a heart murmur. You know what? I need an appointment. Come on in and talk to me at least. Yeah, yeah. I need the appointment. Yeah, you've got got slots that need to be filled, and and, uh, and we called it. We called it red time. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, so you uh, you picked the army as as a secondary choice. 
Um, did you uh, did you grab MP right away, or was that something that kind of thrust on you? Um, that's that's I, I, my uncle was an MP back in the seventies, and I knew that okay. that was something that um, I just wanted to do. So um, it was uh, that was my only choice. I didn't even look into my other options. So uh, wow, you know, it's, who, who knows what I what, what other jobs were available? Right. But uh, that's just what I wanted to do. And and um, of course, once I enlisted, and I. I I, I learned pretty quickly the job was a whole lot different than I thought it was going to be. But Oh, sure, uh, yeah. That's one of the most but, diverse jobs in the military, the, the law enforcement uh, kind of path, because they have – from how I – so I wasn't an MP. But from what I understand, you've got – I mean, you've got regular law enforcement details. You've got yeah. – SR, every post has an SRT. Um, you've got uh, combat MPs. You've got uh, – uh, investigations, uh, you know, below felony investigations. You've got. Mm-hmm. I heard a lot of Bravos were getting uh, uh, put into corrections positions anyway because they had a shortage there. So you got that yeah. added on. I mean, and I'd imagine that at 20 years, you've probably done most, if not all, of what MPs. <laughs> well, gone. you know, man, it's it's funny because the, that's the, you, you hit it dead on the head that the job is um, it's extremely dynamic, and, and the tough mm-hmm. part is is that. Um, you, you wind up it's really hard to be kind of a jack of all trades usually your career goes one way or the other as an right. MP you get a lot of guys that will spend a lot of time working in a PMO and they do get those uh, investigations type jobs or maybe they branch over they can become a warrant officer or something like that and go to CID, CID. Uh, but but me I mean I you know I, I got like I said I got into Germany in August of 02 and um, you know I worked a little law enforcement there for, for just a little while but um it was it was right in the Baghdad pretty quick and uh yeah. um just you know back to back deployments either either training for deployments or uh um uh being deployed and then you know by the time the deployment started slowing down for MPs which was you know around the the, the 2012 time frame um after uh operation new dawn um the uh, by that point I had already had the rank where I didn't really have to do that kind of kind of crap anymore anyway. You know, I mean right. the only time I would work law enforcement was uh, if if a like, duty officer. You know, every every so often that you you come up and um, and basically you're just driving a patrol car around and just showing up. And but anyway, I say all that to say that man, like I I haven't pulled anybody over or written a ticket since I was like a <laughs> private. You know, like, I, I just, uh, you know I, people will ask me all the time. I've, I've got buddies that are still in that will ask me. Uh, in fact, just the other day, a guy. Uh, uh, Gotten, he, he he got caught driving on post with a pistol in his uh in his oh, pants oh, and uh, <laughs> yeah so he calls me up and he's like hey man what's going on here I had asked my wife now my wife was an MP too and uh, now oh, she no. she was what very much more versed in the law enforcement side of the house so uh, it was a lot easier to get uh, the answer from her but uh, I was like shit I don't know man I mean <laughs> I, I just don't. Yeah, I'm not like you're. Not you're pretty much fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The answer yeah, yeah. is he's, he's don't not... drive on boats. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just it's one of those things you just don't do. But uh, anyway, so but, yeah, right. I knew I wanted to be an MP, and uh, um, and that that was it, man. So you right. know. So in 2002, um, I don't know uh, if they were still doing. I went to basic in 2003. And okay. almost every um, major MOS was uh, was at OSET at that point. Was the were the MPs on OSET, or did you do split basic AIT? 
No, we're, 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 we've always been OSET, um, and it's, it's okay. still that way. It's uh, Yeah, it's 20 straight weeks at Fort Leonard Wood. So, right. Yeah. Uh, Fort Lost in the Woods. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, you, you, so let's, let's, uh, let's talk about that, man. So, so you're, you're, you're wasting your life away, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, pounding Pretty drugs much. and beers, um, get turned down by the fucking Marine Corps of all places, uh, and then you, uh, you show up, I'm guessing, on a hot summer, sweltery summer day in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Uh, talk us through it, man. What was basic training like for you? <laughs> well, we – I um... – it was funny because I, I wanted to be in one of those those weird cycles. My cycle started in February, and uh, so I got to experience the uh, uh, the entire essence of Fort Leonard Wood as far as the weather goes. Man, you got all four we, uh, seasons. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, what a what a shithole, man. I mean, I remember one day we were uh, I guess we were in white phase, and we were we were uh, doing like the, the first part of BRM. We were in the in the classroom, and they're teaching you how to take apart the rifle and the, the different the different parts and stuff like that, and and uh, I, uh, we, it was like a five hour block of instruction and, and it was, it was warm out when we went in there. And by the time we got done, we, it, it was fucking snowing outside. I was going to say he didn't cold. get the, I was going to say he didn't get the four seasons. He got the two seasons, yeah, winter and the yeah. fourth of July. Yep. And then the, the awesome, awesome humidity in the summertime. So it was, uh. It was something, man. But basic training was a lot different than I thought it was going to be. Now, for me, it was it was difficult because, um, or I, I guess I should say that the hard part, as I experienced it, was just being away from home because I, you know, I, I had never had that umbilical cord removed in that manner. You know, I, I was I was very much used to being around my family and friends and uh, um, and and such. But the, the physical part, um, honestly, dude, even twenty years ago, I thought it was. And great, the army's changed drastically over that time. But I, I thought it was kind of corny. It just wasn't what I expected. Um, you know, I, I, I grew <laughs> yeah, up they were doing Hill and Full Metal yeah, Jacket and stuff all like that. Right? Yeah. It was. Expecting to get smacked around when I around. Yeah. When I when I first heard about when I was first introduced to a counseling statement, I was like, man, that's that's the corniest thing I've ever heard of. Like, I, I just, I just assumed <laughs> I'd be getting my yeah. I, I just thought that I would be uh, kind of getting my ass handed to me all the time, and it. It uh, wasn't really that way, but the 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 being away part was the uh, was I that, that that that's where I did the growing up was was you know twenty weeks away from home and and you know it's sink or swim at that point so you know well yeah and that's and that's a good point because there um, there's a lot of they, they always talk about all the different factors of basic training and, and a lot of people say well it's ninety percent medical mental and like 10% physical. And that's, I mean, that's roughly true, but you hit the nail on the head because for a lot of people, it's not just being away from home and, and loneliness and whatnot, but it's uh, uh, responsibility. Sure. A lot of people sure. all of a sudden have, uh, have gone from essentially being mollycoddled as children to having 100% responsibility for their actions and someone yep. always over their shoulder to call them on that. And that's, yeah. that's a real wake up call for a lot of people. Yeah, and there and, and the people to your right and your left are all depending on you to pull your weight. You know, Love that you know, I'm gonna say. It's a, if you're the, if you're the uh, if you're the jerk that's uh, <laughs> getting in trouble or whatever, you know, the whole platoon gets smoked because of your ass, and you, you become unpopular pretty quick if, if you're that. Right. Guy. So, yeah, you, you you learn how to be that dude or do that. But uh, so. you got any good? Uh, who who was the the fuck up? Who was the clown in your in your platoon? Your basic training platoon. We had one kid that. Uh, um, through through a, a buffer, you know those floor buffers. 
he got mad mm-hmm. about something uh, while he was on fire guard. He threw it out the window. Uh, Baker was his name. <laughs> he had to be yeah, pretty but, fucking uh, strong to make that good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a big guy. He was a big guy. But uh, <laughs> um, other than that, I, I, I don't really. I, I think the, the the people in my in my uh, company were. From, I mean, it's been so long, but it was pretty tame. Pretty tame. I mean, I, you know, it's not not a lot, not much to remember about it, other than just uh, you know being there. Right, right. So, was there was there a point where, since you're doing uh, OSA, was there a point where there was a notable transition from basic soldier tasks to law enforcement stuff, like stuff, or was it all well, kind we, of blended from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, it was basic training ended one day and then we woke up the next day and it was it was AIT. I mean the drill sergeants were with us the entire time. Now the only thing that did change was part of uh, MP school uh, there, there, there were committees that would t- train some of that stuff so um, like the drill sergeants still trained like the M9 and stuff like that um, but when we went to uh, do like detaining operations or get like a crash course in law enforcement operations or uh you know, how, how, to, how to disassemble, reassemble a Mark, a Mark 19 or a 249, those sorts of things. Uh, that was all done by a committee. So they would have, um, they were all green suitors, you know, like a staff, a staff sergeant, stuff like that. But um, uh, yeah, it was at that point, it was, so the drill sergeants were a little more hands off, which I came to appreciate when I became a drill sergeant, because that was kind of our time to uh, um, to relax a little bit, you know. Um, yeah. where, and, and if you were going to take a vacation or something like that, that was when you would not that you, not that we really got to do that sort of thing, but that's that's when you would try to plan it. Would be towards right, the yeah, end. Yeah, because at AIT. that point you're just kind of organizing stuff, not yeah, not to sure. ride them so hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very much uh, the, the 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 planning of the biggest things in the, uh, the planning with that were always like figuring out trans transportation times, making sure your child times were right, and getting you know a lot all that backwards planning about like okay, if I got to get all these kids from here to there they got to eat and yeah it, a lot of that but uh um, yeah sure. so so how how different was it um going from i guess you could say your your standard basic training experience you know uh to into the the mp specific training like how did that fuck with your head at all or was it smooth um not so much. I, I actually pretty much really enjoyed it by that point. There was that because that's when it felt like okay, this is what this is what I came to do. So when um, gotcha. yeah, when you know when we started learning how like you know unarmed self defense stuff like that, how to apply hand irons, things like that. Um, <laughs> that that's when that's when you started to feel kind of like okay, I feel like a badass right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I mean, twenty year old kid like learning how to do that kind of stuff. Where else in the world do you get to you get to learn? Right. How to do yeah. That that's stuff, true. You know, at that age, so, anywhere else uh, they go. If you want to do law enforcement, um, pretty much uh, anywhere else, at least in the United States and in most other countries, you got to wait till you're 21. But yeah, yeah. at 18 years old in the U.S. military, you can start arresting people. <laughs> you can't have a beer, but you can you can pull somebody over. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so you graduate, uh, uh-huh. have the big pomp and circumstance, uh, and then you head out to your first duty station. Where was your first duty station, and how'd you get that assignment, and what was that like? Well, I came under orders towards the end of AIT for uh, Germany, and uh, of course they don't give you a pinpoint. You just know you're going to the country. You don't know where you're going. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, European yeah. command. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I, I wasn't. You know, I had no idea where I was going, but I, 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 uh, you know, I went home, took some leave, and uh, and then uh, 
took the took got on the bird to Germany and uh I remember getting into Frankfurt and that's when um initially they they assigned me to uh I was assigned, I was assigned to the 100 100th area support group out of Grafenvier and uh I arrived there and then the dude that picked me up he's like hey man your your orders got changed again you're going to Heidelberg and uh um that turned out to be a blessing man because uh, in disguise because the uh uh Heidelberg was gorgeous you know Heidelberg was just a uh, uh, it was a college town. I mean, a lot of eye candy around. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a good place. Well, while you were while you were physically there, it was a good place to be. You know, right. So. And it's pretty. Um, I'm trying to. I'm picturing the map of Germany in my head. It's pretty centrally located in Europe, so you could kind of take the train anywhere you wanted to go. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a couple hours in any direction, you're you're in another country where they're speaking a different language. And, and, uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a trip. But uh, and you, uh, quote unquote, uh, never went to Amsterdam. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I, I, I actually, I didn't make it there. No, I, I didn't get to do a lot of traveling when I was in Germany, other than uh, um, I did do what we called a rail mission. Uh, it was right after I'd gotten into Germany. I was pretty lucky to get selected for that. Um, uh, we, we were doing a uh, railhead security for a train that was hauling cluster bombs. Um, but it went like through Austria and, and, and we wound up at uh, camp Darby in Italy and oh, nice. that's right yeah. by, uh, it's close to Pisa and Florence. And, and, uh, I remember we were, st- I stayed at this hotel right up the Mediterranean sea. So that was a pretty cool gig, but, uh, nice. um, yeah, it, yeah, it, 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 it the, the dynamic in the army changed pretty quick. Um, after, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Operation Anaconda was going on, and, and yeah. uh, Afghanistan was a thing. But um, once Iraq kicked off, man, that's when shit really hit the fan, and we were just we were just busy all the time. So right, um, right. and that was uh, two thousand three, right? I think October of two thousand three. October of three, yeah, is when yeah. that invasion was, and then uh, by by April of four, I was in Baghdad. So yeah, it was right. a pretty quick turnaround on that. <laughs> so how does Oh yeah, <laughs> Biop, the best airport Lovely in the world. Biop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've always wondered about MPs, how that um, uh, with the different duty assignments, uh, it's primarily uh, you know law enforcement MPs and combat MPs, how that gets determined. Like, so you said when you first got to Germany, you did a little bit of law enforcement stuff, but then you're ending up in Baghdad. Was where was it the same unit, or did they send you to a different uh, unit for that, or how like how does that work? And what's the organization of that? Well, so it, it, to, to the first part of your question, as far as the the, the duties and responsibilities, it's it, when you're when you're just a basic MP soldier, you're kind of tasked with, it, it, and, and I, I've always felt that be, because the job is so dynamic that it's really tough to be good at anything or any it's like we're kind of a jack of all trades but we're we're not super great at any one thing of that right. sense because because we're, we're, we're so busy uh doing all these different tasks and i've always i always did feel that way when i was even when i was a young private i thought like man we got we got way too much shit that we're trying to do here uh, <laughs> but you know so the we we do our law enforcement cycles where we would rotate throughout the, we, where we provide our law enforcement duties for the heidelberg military community but then we would um we would basically rotate platoons. Like one platoon would would be uh, have LE duty, and then maybe another platoon would be on like a green cycle where they would get some field training time. And that's when you would get your uh, uh, detainee ops training and um, you get your range time in things like that. Um, 
to when, when the deployment started because of the the, the law enforcement commitment that that, that remained um, or the, the, the law enforcement uh, mission that, that, that remained in, back at home you never saw entire organic MP companies deploy so what what would happen um, at least in Germany I, I, I can't speak on how they did it in the states at least at that time but um, for us like I was I was in Heidelberg so they would take a, pl- a platoon out of out of our company and they sent us with the uh, uh, the, the 272nd MP company out of Mannheim and we, we would basically be put with them and then they would leave a platoon back to do their law enforcement uh, uh, detail there in Mannheim. Uh, so that's kind of gotcha. how the, the 95th MP Battalion worked at the time. There was just piecemealing companies together to deploy. Um, and, and of course now, it, you know, entire MP companies don't deploy anymore anyway. Um, right. The yeah. nature of the way things are now. But, um, but yeah, so that's uh, uh, an interesting thing is, so I've, three of my deployments were all with the 272nd MP company because I, I deployed with them twice out of Germany. And then, uh, after I was doing my drill sergeant duty, uh, the army was nice enough to send me to Fort Polk after that. So, but the funny thing is, dude, is uh, uh, the the 272nd FE company had been uh, they they stood down in Germany and they moved to Fort Polk. So here I was assigned. So you ended up in the same unit. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So I've got kind of, uh, <laughs> and it's and, you know speaking of that company, I got a, I got a kick out of it when I was listening to episode number nine where Reverend Campbell was on because he was saying that uh, it, during the time of nine eleven he was assigned with the 272nd MP company as a I guess he was probably a commo guy. I think he said that he was in the, in the signal corps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so chances are pretty good. Uh, he might have been. I mean, he, he was probably out by the time I got there, but the chances are pretty good that you might he and I knew some of the same people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Very small army, very small world. It is. No, it, it is. is for as many people and as widespread as it is. You think that, and and I, I, you know, I joke about this all the time because it's big enough that it's it's a dumb question when someone says, "Oh, you were in the army. Do you know so and so?" But it's small enough that the chances are actually kind of high that I might. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're you're right, especially if it's if it's somebody who. Uh, happen to be at the same place or, or you know right. same job field so uh yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's it's funny how that works though but uh so what um uh so one one last question about the law enforcement and combat uh dynamic and then we can move on to other stuff uh okay what's it like to shift mentality because obviously the, the law enforcement mentality which is basically a you know security and, and police mentality on a base versus getting ready to deploy and who knows what you're going to do until you get there with that um, are, are two very different things. What's that transition like mentally for you to go from, okay, I'm pulling people over, or I'm guarding a gate, whatever, to, okay, now I'm getting ready to you know, go down range and take care of business. Well, I, I guess, I guess in some ways it's, it's the missions are similar in that, um, you know, you're, you're always carrying a weapon. So, so sure. the, uh, I know there's some soldiers they have, they have, that, that that becomes a thing when when you, 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 you just uh, carrying that that rifle with you all the time or that pistol with you all the time is 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 kind of foreign to, to the to the kids that say like working an S one or something like that right um, right but we were we were more used to it because that just was a normal daily part of our duty and then just kind of having that 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 three hundred sixty degree awareness of your surroundings at all times because you know granted as, as a 
law enforcement on it on any military installation is drastically different than like say if I was going to go be a cop here in El Paso. You know, what I mean, uh, right? Uh, we because your clientele is different. Generally speaking, the people don't they don't want to get in trouble. You know, it's usually usually you're just dealing with like DUIs or um, you know somebody's beating on their wife or something like that. But that's what I was going to say. Probably you know, like alcohol stuff and domestics probably your biggest problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're not we're not. Uh, I mean, not to say it doesn't happen, but it, it's the threat isn't isn't like it would be being like a state trooper in St. Louis, Missouri, or something like that. Sure. You know? Yeah. So, um, but I tell you though, when when and I'll never forget this when shit became real for me was um, we had arrived in Biop in Baghdad in April of '04, and then uh, we were getting ready to this place called Camp Cropper right there by uh, by Biop, and I remember we were getting ready to. Uh, we had this National Guard convoy that was taking us into uh, uh, another place called Camp Provider that was going to be our temporary home. We, we didn't know where what our mission was going to be or where we were going to end up. But, uh, you know, I, I remember we were all standing getting ready to get this convoy brief uh, all lined up and they're handing out rounds. And I was, I was, I was a 249 gunner at the time. I was uh, E4. And, uh, and this, You're uh, at my up, up there as it was our sword. That's yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, they start handing out rounds, man, and uh, um, you know that's there's something about that that's extremely intimidating. When you know, I mean, Grant, I'd had I'd handled ball ammunition time and again, just going to the ranges and stuff. But but when it becomes a different thing all all together when you're in, a, in when you're in a place where okay, there's there's a chance I'm going to have to shoot somebody with this. And, right, and, then, right. and then the guy giving the convoy brief, this dude, he's, uh, I, 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 I'll never forget this day. He said, uh, he's talking about the, the scheme of maneuver and, uh, um, actions on contact, stuff like that. But then he gets to the point where he goes, he says, now, when we get engaged, this is what you're going to do. And, uh, not if, if, if we get engaged, when. not <laughs> yeah. there's a chance we're going to get engaged. When we get engaged, I was, you know, that's when, that's when the butthole tightened up pretty quick. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So yeah, the Welcome to Baghdad tour was uh, they stacked us all in the and, and you know we were we were too new to war to understand how fucking crazy this was. But they threw us uh-huh. all in the back of Deuce and a Halfs, and uh, they were open bed Deuce and a Halfs. And the only thing, only cover we had, we we had our rucksacks up along the sides, and and all of us had our weapons out the the uh, you know. The, the sides of the truck. Going uh, uh, yeah. Nothing, nothing, you know, and and. Uh, and you're going miles. You're going miles through open territory. Yeah, we, it was a good. It was a good 20 minute drive, from what I remember. Yeah. And uh, um, and and uh, luckily we didn't we didn't receive contact on that mission, which was uh, apparently quite a quite unusual for that for where we were where we were at. But um, yeah, Baghdad itself, the the Baghdad region, didn't really start calming down until around 2009 2010. Yeah, yeah, I was back in that. Uh, I was back in Iraq in '11. For Operation New Dawn, and um, that's that was an interesting time to be there because that's when ISIS started to. They weren't really a thing yet. They were still doing the organized crime stuff, and they were kind of um, um, they were like robbing jewelry stores and things like that. To, but that was kind of right. how ISIS got their their beginning, and they, they they would receive their funding. They would take like prominent members of the, of the province and and uh, hold them for ransom and stuff like that. Um, so uh, it was it was interesting to to, to watch that that shift but yeah Baghdad no four man was not that was uh it's not a place yeah you know you asked about the, the different jobs MPs can so you know there are those folks that have had the very unlucky uh the misfortune of 
you know, like, like, like you always have law enforcement folks even on the fobs, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that's the shittiest yeah. cheese ball job that you. So you yeah. have like the guys on Camp Victory pulling Humvees <laughs> over because they three times, three yeah. times on Victory, I got pulled over by an MP driving that's a fucking not, SUV. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not the job you want. I mean, I guess if you're looking to do cush cush stuff. Um, I was fortunate I never did those those types of jobs. We would uh, uh, basically in some form or fashion, we were always embedded with the host nation security forces right. going out. Uh, uh, you know, that, that advise, train, assist role where we would go out on missions with them. And, and um, the tricky part about Baghdad back then was that, that half those guys were all, the, the Iraqi police were all old Bath Party loyalists. So these were, right. you know, the... the you know, the Department of Defense came in and they shit canned a whole lot of those police officers, but they did keep quite a few of them on board because, um, well, I mean, I, I don't know why, to be honest with you. I guess in the best uh, genius of the Department of Defense, they just kept them on. But, <laughs> but, uh, um, so you know, meanwhile, you had MPs that were that were training, working to train these guys at the police academy in Baghdad, um, but uh, a lot of the guys were, were were cops already there, so. Um, it, it, maybe it that's why this familiarity with the job and with the region. I, I still a dumb probably. idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, that became tricky too because uh, you know we, we learned pretty quickly that our interpreters, a good interpreter, was worth their weight in gold. Because oh, yeah. um, on more than one occasion, we had guys tell us that hey, these guys are talking about your your troop movements, your numbers, how many, you know, what kind of weapon systems you carry when you arrive, uh, and. You know, had we not received those types of uh, those t- those tidbits of intel, uh, you know, it could have been a whole lot worse for us. So, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, we're um, all right. So, so your uh, primary mission is training uh, local uh, forces there. How how were receptive were they to the training in general? You're always going to have some bad apples, and you're always going to have some superstars. But how receptive were they in general? Um, you know. When, so we we would I, I, we didn't work with them at the police academy again. We you know we would go to the actual. So my platoon, we were tasked with. Uh, we had seven police stations in southeast Baghdad that we would go to. So um, our platoon leader at the time, uh, this is the time. This is when the, the government was paying these guys in cash. So like I remember, she would she would the fucking take, suitcases. Uh, they bring yeah, suitcases to money. Yeah. So <laughs> what what we would do most of the time is we would show up at a police station. Somewhere in uh, uh, somewhere in that in that uh, in that part of Baghdad, and we would me and the, the junior junior guys, we would stay outside in full security while the squad leader and platoon leader went in and uh, had a uh, uh, you know drank tea with the, the the police chief and and talked shop, and then every so often we would go do joint patrols with them and stuff like that, and that was to um, one to help build confidence and um, at least that was the idea anyway to help build confidence among the, uh, um, the the local Iraqis in, in the police force because the ultimate idea was, hey, we, we want to get the hell out of your country and we want to hand this security um, over to you guys. You know? so that was Here we are of, almost 20 years later. That didn't work out so well. <laughs> no, it, 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 it didn't at all, did it? And, uh, but when we would go out with them and do these missions, they were they were pretty good, man. They, they, um, uh, they, they were, a lot of those guys were very dedicated and very... Uh, you could tell they, 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 they wanted to be doing what they were doing. So, I mean, there, there were bad apples of the bunch, but um, the, the the majority of them, I would say, were very professional and wanted to, wanted to be where they were. So, we, you know, that was that was encouraging for us, at least. 
Yeah, I, uh, my unit on the on my second deployment to Iraq, running Kirkuk, we had a similar mission with the Iraqi army, and man, it was hit or miss whether they were. Yeah. Uh, uh, most of them didn't want to be there. They were only there because they were getting a paycheck. Um, yeah. And then uh, every now and then you have someone that would stand out, but the standouts usually ended up getting scooped up by uh, SF to go to the commando units. Oh, okay. Um, so, so we were left with below average <laughs> for for our baseline of guys. That's but, funny. Um, you mentioned Kirkuk. I was in Kirkuk, and uh, and oh, that's where we were in eleven. Oh yeah, that's Kirkuk. Yeah. But oh, the, one of the problems we have with these guys when they would when they would get out of um, when they would get out of the police academy, they were issued a Glock, and and you know, of course, we at the time we had our Berettas M9s, and uh, um, their Glocks were. They, they, they always, for some reason they always thought that our Berettas were better pistols. You know, they didn't realize how good. <laughs> but uh, the, of, some of those guys that do those once they got their their Glocks, they would go sell them. They would just do the community academy just just with the intent of um, getting the pistol, and then they would sell them, and then and then you never hear the guy again. So. Um, yeah, that was that was. That seems problem. like a really difficult way to make about four hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would, you would you would think right, but um, you know, the, I guess I guess I guess I mean, but the poverty at the time, you know, yeah, I was gonna say, depending on depending on um, when it was over there, yeah. hundred bucks got you like uh, shit. Hundred bucks got you like one hundred twenty. Thousand uh, dinars, some shit. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, <laughs> depending uh, on the so, uh, money or dinar. Yeah, yeah. Did, uh, how how long were your deployment cycles in the MP unit? Um, they were a year. Okay, all right. So uh, during that that you know twelve to to however many months uh, on your first deployment. How was it in general? Do you look back on it as like, oh, that was a successful deployment, or did you guys have a lot of contact? Or, uh, yeah, we received contact regularly. Um, it, it was uh, that was just it became it became where it, it when you heard shit blowing up, it, it was just that was just normal. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that was just that was just uh, yeah, that was just kind of what happened. Um, but you know, it was it was it was weird because. I've often thought back to that time and I've talked to some of the guys I was there with, uh, over the years. And, you know, I think we didn't realize just how much danger we were actually in because we were just so <laughs> used to, we were so yeah. new to, to, to being in that, that situation. So, you know, and the army is going to keep us safe. Oh God. It's, you know, the army is going to keep us safe. Well, the other <laughs> part about that deployment was, you know, we, we were at that, awkward phase where okay so the, the the ground war is officially quote-unquote over um so now we're, we're trying to win the yeah which was called it. so early in that conflict. oh it's crazy, it was <laughs> crazy. And, and the, the, the the insurgency you know picked up immediately and and but you know part of winning the hearts and minds i, I remember man they had us around the last three months of the deployment we were stopping at red lights in, in fucking Baghdad, and so you'd be on hypha street with because you know, I so I was a two four nine gunner, but I was by nature of my my rank, I was the driver. So, um, okay. but but because I was qualified on the saw, and depending on what weapon system, what, what the mission dictated, would depend on what, what weapon. We, we we never we hardly ever mounted those Mark 19s because um, right. they they were just you know, the, it has to uh, 
it, it, in close quarters, it's, it's not very effective because one, one, it's just, it's just, it's just it, the 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 um, I can't remember the word I'm looking for, but it it uh, it, it fucks shit up way too much. Basically, I'm trying to. Oh say yeah, it. oh yeah, it's, uh, it's a spray and pray weapon. Totally, it, it, was <laughs> one, it was wonderful for when those little bastards would run around the gas stations and stuff and hide. Sure, and sure. shoot at you. <laughs> you can just drop a couple of the Mark 19s in there, and the gas station goes up, and you go down the road. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It, it, uh, but more often than not, I would be I would be in the turret because uh, having a saw is just a much more feasible weapon, you know. So you, you know, it, but I I remember countless times, man. We'd be like on Hypa Street in, in Southeast Baghdad and high rise buildings on either side of you, sitting at a fucking red light, just waiting to be shot at by a sniper. Yeah, you know, I mean, just waiting. Oh, yeah. right. this is, right. you know, they, we didn't have those awesome yeah, the, the, the the shields and stuff that they started to develop. Uh, uh, we we did have a front Short, shortly after that too, because on my first deployment, which was in uh, tail end of two thousand four into the beginning of two thousand five, um, we we had the the bulletproof shields, and um, I was a fifty cal gunner. Well, I did a lot of jobs there, but the <laughs> the time that I remember the most is when I was fifty cal gunner. And we would go out of uh, ECP four at uh, at Camp Victory, and there was that long, like it wasn't even a serpentine; it was just a long U turn that you had to make. So the entire convoy is just rolling down with the city right there, and then making a U turn and driving right back up with the city right there. And for about four months straight, there was we had to replace the uh, the glass every single. Uh, time we rolled out because the sniper would hit us, and it took yeah. the infantry who had a sniper nest of their own inside the fob um, that that much time about four or five months before they figured out where the sniper was shooting from and could take him out. So we just got used to the idea that hey, when you roll out here, your glass is going to shatter. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, you're right because they they I mean they know there's only so many ways to leave, and it's not like a, a convoy is 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 hard. To- it, 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 they're not uh, not the quiet, most quiet thing, you know. So right. Uh, you can see them and hear them from far away, and um, you know, and, and that's that's you hit those fatal those fatal funnel areas where where you're coming off of uh, uh, an overpass or, or going under an overpass. Right. You know, they they know where to hit you, so it's just yeah, yeah, absolutely. You uh, you really had to more more times than I remember. I would just. Uh, Kind of close my eyes, and, and when I was in an area, they're like, "Okay," and and man, you know, this this could suck right now. You know? But <laughs> it was the same thing too. I, I'm sure you had the same experience with uh, with indirect fire in that area. I mean, the bases got hit so yeah. often that there was some point where you just didn't even bother going to the bunker anymore. You just hung out, and you're like, "Oh, I can hear it, so I'm probably okay." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that. Uh... You know that's the that that was always the t- most terrifying thing about indirect fire too. So we we, we took a couple casualties from the platoon just from the chow hall man because they had they had our chow hall dialed because we would you know they, they would employ I mean you remember seeing that I'm sure but they would employ local nationals to come work on the fob and and yeah. I guess somebody yeah. somehow got in with some sort of a GPS device and they knew exactly they had that that, that chow hall dialed in um, and uh, they were pretty effective with that indirect fire <clears throat> excuse me but. Uh, when you heard that, when you heard that stuff coming in, that was, that was, uh, that's a moment that was pretty scary at times, man. You, you just didn't know, you knew it was coming, but you didn't know where it was coming, from, you know, where it was going to hit. Right. Yeah, well, so. if you could hear the mortar coming in, you knew it wasn't going to hit you. It's when you did hear it, you went, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I always, I always fondly recall my first night in, uh, in, uh, so we're inside Camp Victory and, I was with 10th Mountain Division. We had set up our own little area inside Victory called Camp Liberty. Okay, um, yeah. 
And so we were we were staying in these little. I totally expected going to Baghdad. We're gonna be living in tents and roughing it, you know, like they, uh, like like all the movies show you about wartime. Obviously, that's not what this war was. But um, so I'm in my chew, and I got my roommate there, and we had been, it was our first night still, so we had a laptop set up, and uh, he had all the Star Wars DVDs. So we're like, you know. We had nothing to do for a week. We were just waiting to do left seat, right seat rides with the unit we were replacing. So oh, for a week, yeah. we just sat there and figured out what to do. On that first night, we put in Star Wars, and the opening scene is going with the swelling music. Bah, 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 bah. And right as that happens, uh, freaking mortar hits the gym tent right on the backside of our chew, and shrapnel comes through right over our heads. We're laying down aye, aye, aye. watching the movie, yeah. so it just comes through right over our heads. I think that was probably the first time in my life since I've been an infant I pissed myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I mean, if you would have been sitting up, you would have gotten hit. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's. Uh, you know, that was just funny. It, it, uh, by the end of the deployment. That was just the way of life in Baghdad. That's how things went. <laughs> oh yeah. It, you know, it's to your point about uh, um, how you thought we'd be living. You, you, you hit the nail on the head there. So at least, at least as far as Baghdad. Um, Mm. We lived pretty good. I mean, I mean, it was it was hell on earth when you left the fob. But I mean, yeah, you, you know, we lived in a. They were like manufactured buildings, uh, mm. kind of like a trailer home, but it was like a two story yep. thing. And you know, right. you had one room surrounded by two walls and has couple yeah, mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you had a couple of gyms and you know, good chow hall, hot water, take a shower. You know, sometimes hot water, something. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, depending depending on how long you went out. Now I know, like, um, I don't know if you ever got to do uh, like the convoy security. Uh, in in Iraq, but I know that a lot of times the MPs would get just stuck at the firing points and LPOPs there yeah. along the way. Um, we had uh, I was artillery, so we had a, a, a gun section that everyone rotated in and out of, and that sat out there in the middle of nowhere. And it wasn't as comfortable living, but for the most part, um, inside the wire uh, in Baghdad was probably the the coolest place in the world to be at that moment in time. Oh yeah, you're right. It, it, uh... You know, you find yourself watching a whole lot of movies and uh, Mm -hmm. working out, and and of course everybody's everybody's drinking proteins, everybody's farting, and you know, know, eating good food. Everybody's trying to get big and lift weights and stuff. And uh, um, yeah, life wasn't so bad on on the (laughs) other than the indirect fire, you know. But uh, nah, uh, we had to drive truck. (laughs) (laughs) We we were driving the trucks. So you um. So this deployment ends. You, you go back to Germany. Um, you're still in Germany when you deploy for the second time, right? I was. So I was. Um, it, it, it's. I was a little naive. You know, I got back to Germany, and uh, um, it turns out that the two seventy second FE company is going to deploy again to Afghanistan. And uh, this was this was like a ten okay. month ten months down the road. They were deploying again, and um, so I, I volunteered to go there and. Uh, um, I really wanted to go, and I <laughs> totally and, different and I, world. Well, oh, man, I, that's, that's, that's what I mean by by how naive I was because I was like, man, we we were living great in Baghdad, and we've been in Afghanistan longer. We got to be living like kings there, man. And, uh, <laughs> boy, I tell you what, man, I, I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, but yeah, so we were uh, about ten months later. I'm in Afghanistan and uh, doing doing a very similar mission all over. Uh, um, RC East, I guess, is what we, what it was called uh, okay. on the Pakistan border, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I got malaria when I was in, from, from Afghanistan. It was, it wow. was uh, 
Yeah, we were we were living rough. You know, we were on fire bases. We would we would go out and we would be with uh, about a squad sized element of Afghan border police, and we had these two fire bases that uh, uh, we would rotate in and out of. And and the problem was that the Afghan guys didn't burn their shit. So, uh, you know, we would burn our shit, but you know, we're not going to burn their shit. And, uh, so I, you the flies would wake you up every morning. Cause uh, as soon as the, the sun hit the horizon, then the flies would, would come alive. And, yeah. Cause uh, all that stuff starts to warm up and all the bugs are coming. Oh out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was very, very hard to stay clean. You know, uh, it was, there was no showers, of course, or anything like that. You know, and you, you'd go 30 days at a time with, uh, without any kind of water, running water or anything. So it was, it was, uh, it was something, man, but so let me let me ask you because uh, you know I got to considering the, the the current year we're in and how the world is. Uh, yeah. Having spent some time, about a year, I'm guessing, in Afghanistan. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What do you think of the pullout? I was extremely pissed off, man. I got to tell you, um, the, the lack of accountability that happened, uh, just just all across the board. I mean, I I specifically one mission that happened when we were out in Afghanistan. I I. Long story short, one time my platoon, we're, we're doing a, a log pack run. We're, we're, we're going to one of our fire bases to, to resupply the guys that were out there. And, uh, you know, we, we were in the middle of the wadi. And, uh, you know, for the listeners that don't know what a wadi is, it's basically like a – my understanding always was that it was like an area of a body – I'm stuttering here. It's like a, it's like a part <laughs> of land. It used to be a body of water, but now it's all dried right. up. And, yeah. and um, so the, the sand was all – it was very fine. It was like like uh, like baby powder sand, and we're driving through a wadi. But the, the reason those were so dangerous is because the bad guys could come in and they could put uh, pressure plate IEDs or, or, or anti tank mines stuff like that. And, and there was no way know, to see it. No there was way no to way to see it. it because five minutes later you would never know that any that human being had ever even walked there because the the, right. the the ground would cover you, the wind would blow, and the the sand would cover that up. And anyway, so we uh we hit an anti tank mine and and uh, the those were always. A pain in the ass because um, fortunately they they didn't at least at least the ones we hit they 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 nobody ever really got hurt I mean you get banged up and stuff but um, you know thank God nobody ever got killed but uh, it, but it, they would they would destroy the trucks and we just happened to be right. in this perfect spot where the truck was just not recoverable we couldn't tow it we couldn't do shit with it and uh, um, so we're 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 in the middle of a in a bat you know there's there's a higher elevation on each side of us and. Um, you know, it's it's getting dark, and, and we're trying to set up comms. We we're, we have no comms, and so I remember we're, we're trying to get the Christmas tree antenna out, and we're hey, hey man, we need some help out here, trying trying to get somebody to come out and help us recover. And uh, finally, we start seeing movement in the, in the in one of the mountaintops, and uh, I tell my platoon sorry, I'm like, hey 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 man, we got to get the hell out of here. And uh, so we uh, we we burn the truck in place, we put an incendiary on the, uh, the the radio mount, and one on the engine block, and then. Uh, we, we got the hell out of Dodge and we get back to the fob and man, we got our asses handed to us when we got back to the fob. Because you left the equipment and, out. Uh, we oh. left the equipment out there and on top of it, um, we didn't put a, an incendiary frag on the uh, uh, on the Duke, which was the uh, oh, the, uh, uh, the electronic <laughs> countermeasure device. You know, those between that that and the Blue Force so, tracker, those are the most important parts. Oh man. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah, we fucked that all up. And, and uh, so anyway, another another. Uh, these infantry guys that lived on the, we were in a place called Wazekwa, and uh, the, the infantry dudes had to, uh, um, they had to get geared up and go out and, and uh, recover the vehicle. They, they didn't, you know, we didn't go because we had just gotten bad. They didn't make us go, which we probably should have went. But, um, but anyway, you know, I, I, I say all that to say, you know, we over that one piece of equipment because it was so detrimental that it couldn't get in the enemy's hands. We put these guys in danger, you know, to go out there and get this shit. And 
you know, we left all that stuff there, man. Like, I, I just, Billions I, I can't, of dollars worth. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's just insane to me. We left all that stuff there. And, uh, um, so I took that a little personally just because of that, that experience I had. And, and, uh, and, and for obvious reasons, I just, I, I can't believe the, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's funny that that one Marine Lieutenant Colonel that uh, uh, he, he wound up losing his rank or he retired or uh, resigned his commission. I can't remember the guy's name, but he made a good point. He was talking about, uh, you know, for as a battalion commander, or even as a company commander, or uh, you know, I did I did some time as a first sergeant before I had a little fall from grace in the army. But um, <laughs> you know, if if we if I we're going to talk about that, oh, the yeah, keep yeah, going. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, but we. Uh, you know, if you had if you had a live fire incident in a range or something, you know, I mean, your guys was getting fired um, oh, man, for the yeah. simplest things. But these guys at the topmost echelons of our Department of Defense are, are just uh, it, it's I don't know. They still got the job, man. They're, they're still I saw uh, I saw a uh, an O2 lieutenant get booted out of the army for a negligent discharge when we're coming in off of a patrol. So he, his discharge was into the clearing barrel. Still got booted out of the like it was. They were in, obsessed about that stuff, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. Apparently, at the end of the war, eh, who fucking cares? And it's not that uh, that I don't think we should have pulled out. I have been a proponent of not being in Afghanistan at least yeah. ten years before they actually decided to pull out. But it could have been done smarter. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I, I, I agree with you totally. There, I I, I don't uh, I don't believe that we we needed to be there. Anymore either, but it, there was just there was a way to do that. You yeah, know? exactly. And, and, and the that way, was not the way. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, there was there was definitely a better way to do that. And uh, um, so that was uh, that was disheartening for sure. Um, and uh, I, I think that just that kind of lends itself to the overall um, state of our military right now. I mean, the morale is yeah. is you know. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I think I can also. Safe, fairly say that the morale is just pretty low, you know, especially right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, so that that was not a not not a not a good point for us for sure. Right. All right. So um, so you get home from Afghanistan. Well, you get to Germany from Afghanistan. Uh, I'm guessing this is probably about time that you're gonna put on the round brown, right? Because you should be about yeah. Five. I had uh, you know at this point I was. Um, I, I, I knew the army was was what I wanted to do. I had reenlisted in Afghanistan, and uh, um, so while I was in Afghanistan, I, I knew also that um, I was I was a sergeant at the time. Did you get your fifteen bucks? Number day what? Number day. Did you get your fifteen oh, bucks? The 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 you know what the uh, reenlistment bonus is that we talking yeah. about? Oh, you yeah, fifteen dollars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, actually, I, uh, I, I I got paid a substantial amount of money to reenlist. I was pretty fortunate, man. Was, uh, uh, I did it yeah, while I was like, over there as uh, well, and they 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 brought it out. They slapped fifteen grand in front of you, yeah. and you're like, "Great, take it with me." They said, "No, <laughs> fuck out of here. We just wanted yeah. a picture with it." <laughs> they, they didn't give yeah, me shit. Nice. They gave me a rip it and a handshake and told me to get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I, I know. Of course, I never received a bonus again. That was, uh, you know, the right. first time, but uh, the only time. But it was nice, man. It was, uh, you, you know, you get even when you're downrange like that, it's uh, uh, lump sum tax free. So it was, uh, right, yeah, right. that was a that was a nice chunk of change for. I guess I was probably about 23 at the time, 24 maybe. But, um, but uh, 
yeah, I, I, while I was in Afghanistan, I was working it because because uh, I, I knew I wanted to do something other than just go be a squad leader somewhere. You know, I, I which was right. you know fantastic job, but I knew I so I uh, was thinking, okay, I want to be either a recruiter or a drill sergeant, and uh, I was thinking, well, yeah, after <laughs> I started thinking about it, I'm not. I definitely don't want to deal with kids' parents. That's not something at all that I. And recruiting uh, is a brutal job. Yeah. It is a brutal no. I don't have the temperament or the. Um, I, I, I'm just. I'm just. I don't like talking to to the strangers like that. That's not something I. So I figured. Well, I, I, I'm pretty good at yelling and being an asshole. So I, can, I can go be a drill sergeant, but uh, uh, so yeah, I I. Uh, I uh, Wound up working it out to get orders for drill sergeant school, and then uh, I, I was back in Germany after Afghanistan for maybe four months before I PCS to Fort Leonard Wood, and then uh, uh, I actually went to drill sergeant school at Fort Leonard Wood. Uh, really? So I went to yeah drill sergeant school at uh, and did, my, that, did dinners in Jackson. You always did her in Jackson. Yeah, no, we were actually the last class to have uh, a drill sergeant school class at, at Fort Leonard Wood. They 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 ran oh. it there, and then. We were the last one. It was uh, yeah. I think they consolidated we, everyone over to Jackson. Everyone at Jackson, you're right. Yeah, 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 we graduated. All right, so you get to drill sergeant school. What what is drill sergeant school like? Because there's a lot of rumors and a lot of uh, talk, and nobody besides drill sergeants really knows what goes on there. So what, what was it like? Well, so you know, I, it, it was interesting because I got to Fort Leonard Wood, and um, I was I was immediately assigned with. Um, the company that I was going to be working with. So um, this is before school. I didn't have. A, I, I I got there. I think in July, and my school day wasn't until October of the seven. And oh, okay. um, uh, so we, what they call they called us turtles, and we would just uh, we were we were wearing berets. We weren't in a hat, um, but we would uh, basically follow around the other drill sergeants and 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 kind of watch shadow them, watch what they did, and. And gotcha. we could get hands on and, and and help with the training stuff and things like that too, um, right? Because you're still NCOs. Yeah, sure. So, um, so we got that was that was pretty cool because that gave us a lot of time because there was a lot of studying of the modules and things he had to memorize. And, um, but the school was um, it, it, a lot of memorization. That that's that was you know, oh I mean, god. Yeah, that was the hard part for me. I mean, we got yelled at a little bit by, and that was kind of awkward because you got like a staff sergeant yelling at you um, when you're. I, I was a, I was a promotable promotable E five at the time. I wasn't a staff sergeant yet, but it was. Right, so you're basically um, the same. Yeah, yeah, and you're not really accustomed to being talked that way at that point anymore. You know, so it, that was a little bit. But it was it was nine weeks of uh, going through everything the privates did basically. So we we did a uh, um, we went back through. BRM, we went back through like what we call the Warrior Tower, where you do the the repelling and all that stuff. Oh, repel, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, we did all those events, and it was uh, it was in sequence, just like the uh, just like the privates go through. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, it actually have, makes a lot of sense because that's going to become actually have your phases. You would actually have your phases, your white, your you know red, your blue phases. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, you marched everywhere you went. You, the only difference was yep. you, you went home at night, um, you know, and, and uh, okay. um, for a few hours because you had to be back. It's uh, and it was funny too, man, because at Fort Leonard Wood, we were, uh, um, we were, our, our the drill sergeant school was ran out of the same academy as like where the Beanock uh, guys were. Oh, so, okay. so like. Oh. We we would be out standing in formation on like a Saturday at like four in the morning, like, like, you know, and these guys would just be coming home from the club and they'd be like looking at us like, man, that sucks. You know, we don't want to be, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, 
It was. It was. Just wait until your ass is DA'd for something. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so, so you graduate drill sergeant school, and and you're 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 in your unit, and you get your first uh, uh, cycle coming through. Obviously, a totally uh, different mentality from the rest of the army. Being a drill sergeant, dealing with with uh, trainees coming in. What what was that like? How much how much of a mind fuck was it for you? Because obviously, kids showing up in basic training, their their minds are getting fucked left and right. But how much for you trying to apply all this stuff that you learned and that you've been through a few years before that? Um, what was that like for you? Well, the the. The, it, it, it kind of, it kind of it was, the reality was that most of those kids were graduating, going straight into Iraq. You know, because that that yeah. was, I was, uh, I was, I was, I was on the trail during the time of the surge. So they, in fact, it was so, it was so bad that there was a time where we had uh, there was this thing they called the AMP program. It was that we called it. It was uh, AMP, Advanced Military Police. And the first week or two of every cycle. Um, and this lasted for maybe maybe two or three cycles, um, but you would they would they would want us to pick like two kids out of each platoon that demonstrated some sort of potential or leadership ability, you know. And then those kids would go to like a uh, it was a condensed. Whereas whereas we had we would have these military police soldiers for twenty weeks. This was like I think eleven weeks total. So it was it was a very condensed basic training, a very condensed um, AIT, and then. And then they were sent to the units, and they, I, I'm assuming they were probably sent to the to the, the Fort Campbells and Fort Braggs, yeah. the places where the MPs were. were, were Man, their units must have hated you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. But um, but you know, man, honestly, it was. Um, I think the biggest shock to me was just how um, exhausting the job was because when you're when you're on your feet all day long and you're pointing out every. Uh, deficiency. Every you know, your, your headgear's wrong. Your your hey, hey, fix that bootstrap. Your that that that, that bootlace, or, or just every little thing. And you're constantly hollering. You're constantly. Um, it, it's man, that was tiring. That was that was yeah. tiring. It, it goes. Work. It goes from I'm king shit. I'm the I'm the head cock out here to God damn, this get boring. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, how, how did now? Uh, I've, I've always been curious for drill sergeants because it's such a unique and um, brutal job. Um, how did your personal life start to change doing that? Because I mean, you're for two years roughly. You're um, you're working almost twenty four seven, and and you like you said, you're pointing out deficiencies in everyone that's around you, and you're yelling all the time. And um, doing all this stuff, how, did this affect your personal life at all? Like, how did that change? Uh, I mean, it absolutely did for sure. I was I was married uh, at the time. That marriage didn't last long, and, and um, you know, the, the, uh, just the op tempo overall in the army, back, the military back then was it, it was. I, 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 over the years, I've, I've compared it to being like a rock star because you know you're not getting the pay, but. You're always moving. You're always, and you can't depend on anything. And, and uh, um, it, it was so. It, it became very tough to 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 keep those relationships. I mean, I, some some folks could do it. I mean, I, I wasn't one of them. And right. Uh, but it, particularly with the drill sergeant duty, was hard because I would, uh, you know, we we would have our first meeting every morning at four fifteen. It was just a brief, you know, brief uh, 
um, a movement brief talking about the scheme and maneuver for the day, and then we will wake them up at 4.30. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we put them to bed at 20.30 every night, and our, we had our final brief, or uh, our, our last meeting at 20.45. So you put them to bed at 20.30? Damn, these kids were lucky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it, was, uh, it, it was very regimented, and, and, and if they weren't in bed by then, it was there was hell to pay. Like if, if the, the, the battalion sergeant major, somebody came by and and, and uh, uh, saw that 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 there was something going on that wasn't supposed to be going on. I mean, it was it was that was a problem. Um, oh, for sure. So now we were. It was very very. Um, and just like the privates, all of you were going to pay if you did. Yeah. Oh sure. Swear sure. Away so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, by the time you got home. Um, and you had, uh, I mean, there were times I would fall asleep trying to eat a di- eat dinner, you know. Um, sure. And you 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 get up and get your boots on and go do it again. Uh, it it was uh, uh, a very 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 it was, it was like whiplash, man. It was just very sure. uh, very demanding. And very demanding. and I'd imagine um, now there's always going to be shit bags no matter what job in the military. So I'm sure there were shit bag drills, but sure. um, for the most part. <laughs> You not only do you have to pull these uh, these crazy hours with all this attention to detail, but you have to be perfect as well. Yeah, you really got to be that's, on your game. Um, that's that's got to be taxing, yeah. right? Like mentally, it's got to be taxing. Yeah, you have to look the part. I mean, uh, that was. And you're right about how there's there's uh, you know out of a company of um, a training company, we would have maybe 11 drill sergeants total, and you know you have your like uh, you'd have your company XO, company commander, first sergeant. Um, and you'd have like an operations guy, but uh, you know, out of out of, a, out of eleven drill sergeants, you might have like three that really run the show, and then like kind of everybody else just shows up to work. You know, it's and, there, and that, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you had a lot of guys too that were getting the BA selected that didn't want to do it, or you know, maybe maybe guys that were trying to retire, or, or they they were at that point in their career where they just they didn't want to want to be doing that kind of work you know at 17 years or whatever in the army you don't want to do that shit you know i mean i, right. I was fresh i was brand new um but what were the reservists like because i know like my my platoon when i was in basic training we had a, a bunch of reserve we had two permanent drill sergeants we had our platoon drill sergeant and then uh drill sergeant weaver i don't i don't even know what his position would be. he was right underneath the platoon drill sergeant and then like every few weeks a different reservist would come in to fill the third slot like did you have that? Like, was there a lot of reserve drill sergeants you were working with? Uh, I didn't experience that. No, I think I'm pretty sure everyone that we had was all active duty. We, no, not, not, okay. not that you mentioned it. We did have one guy that was uh, uh, a reserve guy, and uh, he was called up. Uh, to, I can't remember the dude's name, um, but he was with us uh, the whole time. He didn't. He didn't rotate okay, gotcha. um, out or anything like that. Gotcha. All right. So what's um. Two years on the trail. I'm sure you've got a shit ton of stories about dumbass privates. But what what's the, the biggest moment that stands on your head? What's the absolute dumbest thing that one of your privates did? <laughs> well, you know, the, they, they they were all the, – the thing about the privates was is that they – they come from all over, you know, so it's, you get a little bit of everything. It's definitely, you, you get kids that grow up in the Bronx, you get kids that grow up in West Virginia, you get kids that grow up in San Diego. So it's, you know, just that, that cultural, uh, mix of, of all kinds of different stuff. And, and, uh, 
I mean, I remember one time because over Christmas they would have uh, you, you let them go home for. Uh, uh, I mean, we called it uh, Exodus or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, oh, Christmas Exodus, back, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> after they came back, we had to piss test everybody, and so um, you know, you got a company of like two hundred and forty privates, and you got to figure you can only you can only piss them so fast because you got to watch them. And and they had this one kid, man. Uh, uh, he's like, "Drill son, I gotta go real bad." And uh, shut up, private standard. Shut up. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, he's like, but drill sergeant Mines is coming out. And he stands there, <laughs> stands there pissing himself, man. And uh, uh, yeah, that one. Uh, you just got you got a whole Mines is coming kids. out. <laughs> then there were kids that would show up that didn't know how to shave. You know, like you'd have to teach them how to shave. They didn't know how to. Um, so there was there was also. A uh, almost a, a paternal aspect uh, of, sure, of yeah. that job because you you were taking these kids that had never been home or away from home and um, a lot of these young men had maybe been raised by women and didn't have a dad or something like that. Right. So there's things they just didn't know how to do. And just simple things them. that most people don't think of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, it was, uh, and you don't mind so much helping them with that stuff. No, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I always did enjoy uh, uh, training. I mean, I, and I guess that's why I, I, I kept doing it for so long. And, you know, just, just training and leading soldiers was always something that I, I right. felt very passionately about and, uh, and teaching. So, yeah. If you're actually was, training and doing something for a benefit, fine. But if you're some dumb fuck, that's what upsets you. I don't, <laughs> I don't look at it as, I don't look at it as dumb fuck myself. If, if I, you know, the kid come from a, Fatherless family doesn't know how to shave. I ain't gonna, yeah. you know, ah, you don't know how to shave. Hey, dumb fuck, don't know how to shave. You know, sure, sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, on your on your two deployments prior to being on the trail, uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, you you were basically in a in a type of training role with the uh, the nationals there. Did any of that experience help you as a drill sergeant, or was it completely different? Um. I would say it helped in the sense that we we uh, you, you definitely appreciated how important it was to to train these kids to pay attention to detail and and to to listen right. to instructions. And because um, you've been watching it happen in real time, what happened if they yeah, did? Yeah, yeah, you were able to able to take that real world experience where you 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 saw firsthand when somebody when somebody fucked up there were there were real consequences it wasn't it wasn't oh somebody's mad at you or maybe you're going to get you're going to do some push-ups or something there's no like people fucking died you know uh um and and, and that uh dude uh, lucy can you guys hear me oh no no yeah yeah okay you're good okay. you're good Dwayne uh, just shut off his video for a minute gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I just make sure i didn't do something uh but i think that that definitely lent itself to um being able to add add that real world for instance, it, it, when when you were training kids, how, you know, reacting to contact or uh, movement drills, stuff like that, you could you could explain why this was important. This is why we do. This. Okay, yeah, that makes um, sense. And you could you that could you could use that real world experience to uh, uh, to give examples of what the bad guys are doing and 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 how to um, you know, and you you just teach them the best you could and hope that you. Uh, that you, that you you're putting out a good product. I mean, but at the end of the day, you just you're putting out a basically trained soldier. So it was still on right. that unit receiving the kid to, to continue that training and uh, and mentorship and guidance and getting them ready for uh, for whatever they were getting into. Right. I think that's that's something a lot of a lot of 
especially civilians don't understand. Don't do it. But when you when you go into the military and you go through basic training, they they have these images like you know TV shows, movies, and whatnot, and they think that oh well, this person he's coming out of basic training, he's ready to fucking run the gun. That's not yeah. the case. Like that, yeah. I, I would say probably eighty five percent of everything you need to know uh, to be in the military happens at the unit level. Um, oh, and oh yeah, I don't Absolutely. think a lot of people get that. <laughs> No, that, that that's that's definitely fair. Um, for instance, one of the things I don't know why we taught this, but like when when we got the AI the AIT portion of uh, of of the training, uh, the way we taught the kids to put hand irons on uh, was n- nothing you'd ever do in the real world. But you, you had to stick with what was in the curriculum. It was it was, right. it was all mandated right. from the uh, the, the uh, big wigs at USAMS, it was the United States Army Military Police School, the Commandant, yeah. and all that. So, like, I mean, you had to teach what they told you to teach. You couldn't, you could, you could also, you could give like examples of, okay, well, maybe it'd be, you could try this or whatever, but you had, you still had to stick with that. Right. Like, you got to understand uh, this, but for nowhere, or for go or no go, you got to do it this way. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. So, one last question about the trail. Um, okay. Because I've been dying to know this. Uh, it, it is almost universally known that drill sergeants are fantastic at coming up with insults. So, <laughs> they're fantastic. What? I'm sorry, I lost you there. At, at coming up with insults on the fly. Oh, man. Right? Yeah. Uh, now, is this something you're taught, or is this just go and give it your best shot, cut a promo kid? <laughs> he, he used to. Uh, my, so my, my, my battle buddy, my platoon, other platoon drill sergeant, was this guy named Barfus. And, uh, Barfus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, he was also my roommate for a little while. Real cool guy, but uh, we would we would like purposely try to make the other one laugh, you know, because it's, it's all theatrics. That's all being. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you put the hat on, and you're, you're assuming a role, and um, um, you know, it, it, we we would. I'll tell you a quick story, man. I had this first sergeant, this guy that was uh, hysterical. He had been a drill sergeant before, and he was an old crusty guy, and. And as MPs, we, we had a uh, it was gender integrated training, so we had, you had men and women together. Right. And during a, I think it's like a phase three FTX or something, you know, where they they go out to the field and they're doing a just their their basic uh, warfighter tasks. Uh, this this private, I guess he got caught making out with this female. I don't remember the details or whatnot, but anyway, I, long story short, we're, we're we're back in the in the company area, and I'm in the first sergeant's office with. Uh, with this 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 private and his battle buddy and the first sergeant, he's like, uh, he, he he says to this private, he goes he goes, all right, so let me get this straight. He goes, he goes, so uh, did you kiss her? And he goes, no, first sergeant. He goes, did you touch her leg? No, first sergeant. He goes, you touch her boob? No, first sergeant. He goes, but you fingered her. He goes, yes, first sergeant. He goes, well, damn boy, you're a fast mover. <laughs> but he said that man, I I had to, there was a trophy case on the side of me. And I had to, I'm standing there at parade rest, and I had just had to go to attention and and, and turn to the trophy case. I was like, I, I was, it was all I could do not to die laughing. And uh, and of course, you know what the privates I see you laughing, you know. So, uh, right, man, that right. guy was hilarious, and he would just say the, uh, just I mean, yeah, he had he was the, the most off the wall shit at the, the at the most most opportune times to to make you make you laugh. It was fun working with that guy, but uh, uh, it it was. There was an art to it, you know. It was, right. it was learning, learning how to say things, and of course, you know, 
yeah, a lot of that stuff people steal from Full Metal Jacket, you know, because uh, oh, sure. yeah. you know, Ermy was the uh, the quintessential drill instructor, you know. So, oh yeah, he was, uh, he was the king of it. He was the king oh, of absolutely. So. And it was all ad libbed, from what I understand. It was all completely ad libbed. Yeah, no, I, I, I heard they brought that guy in to be an advisor. Like, that's, that's what I had. Yeah, and he, he was so damn good. I'd be like, you know what? He was going to teach people, and they said, fuck <laughs> you, we want you. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, so you come off the trail. Uh, you said you you, uh, you came off the trail, and you got sent to the asshole of the United States Army, which is Fort Polk, Louisiana. Um, what was um, – what was that transition like coming off the trail, going back to the regular army and to be in such a shitty place? Uh, how, how did that, how did that, how did you deal with that uh, transition? Um, that was a tough transition for me because one, I, I, you know, when you're a drill sergeant, they, they, your, your head gets blown up pretty big because they treat you like, when I say they, I mean like, you know, your, your, your battalion leadership and just, just you're you're used to being treated like like you're God, you know, like you're yeah, you're the God, yeah, yeah, you're walking ten feet taller than everybody else, you know, and, and you get this kind of arrogance about you. I was a young guy, and I I I, uh, I definitely uh, had kind of a hothead, and I, I just to me at the time I was like, man, if you haven't been a drill sergeant, don't even talk to me. Like I, I just thought I was like above everybody, you know. I was kind of one of those guys back in my mid twenties. And, and I imagine everyone so, uh, lower enlisted, so like you four and below, is is probably just a, another private who needs correction. <laughs> that's that's the tough part, man. Because it, when you get out of the operational army, you realize that um, people don't really care about a lot of those things. You know, a lot of a lot of the silly stuff that you spend so much time uh, harping over, and and uh, uh, you know, haircuts or, or, or you know, what have you. You didn't you missed a spot when you were shaving or. or uh, Whatever it was, uh, that's shit that a lot of people in the in the, in the regular real army just don't care about, uh, you know, as much. And um, right. so, yeah, I, I, I found myself where I was, I, I was going off the handle quite a bit about shit that, and, and, and after a while, you just learn, man, like, like, why do I even care so much at this point? Um, but right. I was also too, I was also. I kind of felt like when I got done being a drill sergeant, I, I, I assumed I was going to walk into a, a, a platoon sergeant role because um, I just thought that this thing was going to be handed to me on a platter. I mean, I was a staff sergeant at the time. I wasn't promotable or anything yet. But, um, well, and as a drill sergeant, and, basically a platoon sergeant, so that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so much to my chagrin, I I, 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 uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't happy to, to, to be assigned as a squad leader, you know, and I kind of felt like I was above the position and uh, right. The platoon sergeant I kind of didn't really like because I'm like, man, I should be doing this job. Um, so that was that was that was a tough uh, thing for me, you know. But it, as it turns out, being a squad leader was was an incredible learning experience because I I I, uh, I got to uh, I was deployed again from Fort Polk and uh, took some soldiers down range to uh, to Kirkuk this time, northern Iraq. And yeah. uh, uh, man, that was that was by far my worst deployment. And uh, you know, you, you learn quite a bit about what not to do as a leader um, on that deployment, you know. So it was uh, it was a valuable experience. Uh, yeah, because I guess, well, I guess before before going to drill sergeant or going on the trail as a drill sergeant, um, you deployed a couple times, but for the most part, basically just a Joe. Uh, now you're responsible for, what, seven people's lives? Uh, yeah, we had a uh, we had I had twelve soldiers. So uh, oh yeah, twelve. Yeah, All right, so yeah. that's uh, 
that's got to be a heavy responsibility because it's not like being a drill where you're responsible for saving of, of well, train keys. You're, you're now responsible for people's lives and combat. <laughs> it, it was. Um, it certainly was. I, uh, I, I, you know, I ran my squad like I, a lot, in many ways, like I did as a drill sergeant. You know, I, I before every mission, I would have them uh, line up. I, our, our, all of our all of our mission briefs were very formal. Um, I, I would I would get hands on all all sensitive items. I would. Um, yeah, I would. I would. We would go, always, always go over our rules of engagement cards and our uh, uh, the, the law of armed conflict card, and, and 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 discuss actions on contact. Just all that stuff. So you know, the scheme of maneuver, what routes you were going to take, and um, so I was very, very formal with all that stuff. And and I don't, I don't think my guys liked me very much because I was, I was oh, yeah. very hard. I, I promise you, they didn't. Uh, as no. <laughs> as a guy. No. Uh, and the in the regular army, whenever a guy walked in with that drill sergeant badge, we're like, oh, fuck me." <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it, it was. Yeah, and, and we were uh, we were going out on mission every day, so it was uh, what we did at this this deployment is we were working with uh, um, a whole lot of civilians. We were escorting. It was uh, uh, the it was the P pit was the uh, acronym, and I couldn't tell you now what it stood for if I tried. But um, we had guys like from the State Department. We had a guy that was like an LA, LAPD bomb tech. We had another guy that was uh, um, like a lawyer. We we had a. Uh, uh, this one dude was a was a retired SEAL, and and anyway, we would go to um, like my other deployments. We would go to these different uh, uh, police stations in the province, and and uh, and these folks would go in and 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 work their magic with the the Iraqi police chiefs and stuff. And and uh, um, you know, and, and the deployment for the most part, that at that point, you know, it was Operation New Dawn. We we were getting ready to pull out of Iraq. The attacks. They they were targeting military. I mean, they were talking targeting the uh, the Iraqi police quite a bit, but they tried to leave us alone because they wanted us to leave. So they didn't. Right, uh, right. They you know uh, while while there was still a threat and 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 we still had a little bit of contact on that deployment. Um, it wasn't so bad. What I, I I got this kid uh, in my squad halfway through the deployment. And I wasn't thrilled about it. I, this kid was assigned to me. His name was Mills. And uh, he was kind of a rehab transfer from another squad. He wasn't doing so good in second uh-huh. squads. They sent them to me. And I wasn't really thrilled about getting Mills in my squad because Mills was uh, – he was kind of kind of a hefty kid, a little overweight. And uh, um, I always kind of uh, thought he was a bit of a sandbagger, you know, the guy that uh, – um, I, I just thought he was kind of full of shit. And I'm thinking, okay, man, I got a, I got a well-oiled machine right here, and I, this guy's going to throw a cog in the mix that I, I really <laughs> don't want. So I was – I was very hard on Mills, and I remember one day he comes, uh, he comes uh, to to the mission brief and not shaved. And I go, Mills, you got five fucking minutes to run to the latrine and shave your face and get back here. And I, 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 it was, you know, from where where we were physically located versus the latrine, there was no way in hell this kid could make that time period. Of course, yeah, and, uh, and he did it. And I, I was, I was, you know, he <laughs> he actually turned out to be one of my. Uh, one of my better troops. Um, he was a that driver. was probably a light bulb moment. He, uh, but there's a lot of potential here. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he knew the, he knew the routes uh, very well. He was, uh, you know, he was part of the driver's responsibilities was making sure that the radios were up and stuff like that in the truck. And yeah, and uh, so you know he he had his his, his shit together. And um, but I was always hard on him, man. And uh, um, I remember one night we were, we were doing mail, handing out mail, and uh, after mail call, my platoon sergeant pulls me by. We were getting ready to go home. Uh, we, we we weren't sure about the time, but this is somewhere. This is like September of uh, 2011, and okay. 
So my platoon sergeant pulls me aside, and our, our company was headquartered uh, in Mosul, I think they were. They weren't located with us. And But very long story short, the company commander, I guess, had gotten word that this kid, Mills, was talking to his wife, and I guess on Skype, and he was saying, hey, uh, you know, we're coming home. And uh, he uh, uh, he tells her, hey, we're coming home. And um, so, you know, obviously, you, can't, you know, that's that's upset. Yeah. You know, he's, he's talking to her about our movements and, and things and anybody could have been listening. So that night uh, I got his team leader, this kid named Corporal Odom. And I said, hey, man, you take I told him what happened. And I, I said, you take Mills and you smoke his bag until he smoke his bag until he fucking pukes. And uh, man, the last time I remember seeing Mills was uh standing up against the chew at parade rest getting get, getting the business from his team leader and man i tell you what that next morning uh i, I always let my, my squad sleep in because i like to get up in the morning and go have breakfast but if the, if the guys wanted to, to sleep in i didn't i didn't mind and uh because i figured i rode their asses enough during the day and right. uh but yeah that next morning man we so what, what the bad guys were doing is they were taking um uh, rockets and they were hooking them up to, to uh, washing machine timers and uh, so these improvised rocket launchers they yeah. would just set it for like 30 minutes or something like that and the, the fucker would just would shoot off and they were usually wildly inaccurate most of the time they would hit in like the airfield and stuff like that and um right. but man i remember that morning i'm i'm, I'm waking up and uh or I'm, I'm getting my boots on or whatever and uh i hear a boom you know pretty loud boom and I, I i look out and my my i open the door to my chew and i look down the the walkway and my platoon sergeant's looking out and he's like, yeah, man, I think it hit on the airfield. I'm like, yeah, I think it was. And so I, I, I sit back down on the bunk and I'm, I'm, I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And then, uh, another boom comes in, but this one was fucking loud, man. <laughs> and, uh, at that point it scared the shit out of me. I was pissed. And I say, I, I, you know, again, being a hothead, I, I opened up my door. I was like, you motherfuckers. But over my own scream, I'm hearing other screams, like, 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 you oh, know, fuck. screams of pain. And, and, uh, yeah, I landed right in the middle of my squad's shoes, man. And, uh, that mm. Mills was killed in his fucking sleep. So uh, that was tough, dude. Um, you know, I was I was very hard on the kid, and and it, as it turns out, the last conversation he had with his wife was a bad one because you know he got in trouble, and uh, so and then right. the next morning the poor bastards killed him in his sleep, and and uh, so I had uh, four guys medevaced out from my squad. We had yeah, I think six total in the in the platoon that were injured. Four had to be medevaced out, and uh, and of course we we sent them out in a, in a bag and. Uh, um, Damn, dude. Man, that was, uh, you know, I, I, I've dealt with that, dude. And that was, that was really also kind of the catalyst, man. I've been on, uh, I've been on meds for many years now because of that. And I, I've dealt with, uh, a lot of, uh, issues because, because of not just that deployment, but, uh, that was, that was definitely, um, I got to a point where after that I was just going off the handle, man. I was screaming at guys and, and, uh, finally I wound up while I was still, going to see a um a psych a psych guy a, a, a doc and and uh getting put on some meds and that just kind of you know went from there and I've, I've been on everything under the sun since i've tried so much different shit you know and it and uh and all those things i mean they all have their side effects so you try one thing yeah. and you're on it for a couple of years you try something else or whatever and um but uh that was um i don't know man because i you know my other deployments were you know especially like the first one in baghdad was was there was a lot more just combat but um i had never experienced that before i was i was fucking right. fascinated from that right. um so uh so yeah that was uh that, that's why that's why i said earlier you know being a squad leader turned out to be a you know it's 
I don't, I don't, I don't know how I'd even word that. I mean, it was, it was a very fortunate learning experience, but you know, it's not something I'd, I, I wish, I wish I could do it differently. You know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say. Sure. But, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't have a good set way out of that uh, question. So. <laughs> no, I don't mean to get all, uh, get all, all dark on you. There. No, no, you're good, man. Good. Uh, but let's uh, let's jump ahead. You, you talked about um, so at some point, obviously, you're you're going out. On, I'm sure you're going to a knock and get to seven. Um, but uh, you, you mentioned that you would become a first sergeant. Um, so two things I want to know about that one what was the process like and, and how did that affect your you know, your your head how did it change you as a person and then also two what did you get fired for <laughs> <laughs> all right well so um I, I got back from my my last appointment in uh, early for operation hair resolve we were only there we we were supposed to be there a year, but I was on a core staff. So, I mean, it was a completely different type of deployment. I mean, we were based out of Air of John. We would go up north to do battlefield circulation and, and uh, field, like, force protection equipment and stuff. But um, it was not at all like anything else that I'd done before. And anyway, so I get back from that. And, and uh, um, it, that was only, that only turned out to be seven months because we just, we had we beat the shit out of ISIS pretty quick. And uh, so we were sent home and... and um, about yeah, for as brutal as they home. were, they couldn't really fight her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, they, they were they were by far the nastiest of the nasty. Uh, right. But but yeah, they they got taken out pretty quick. Um, those special operations guys really went in there and and cleaned house. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah, for sure. But the uh, I, I I I guess it was it was March of eighteen is when I got selected for promotion to master sergeant, and so. My uh, my MOS and like like many MOSs, once you get to those those senior most enlisted ranks, um, you know when you when you when you select a promotion, you receive a sequence number, you know. And so my yeah. my sequence number was seventy three, but I, I think they promoted they 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 selected like one hundred and fourteen or something like that on that list. So, um, but then every month they 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 pick a couple of people or however many to. Um, to get promoted after that. So, um, once a month you're waiting and hoping your number comes up. And, um, anyway, so, uh, at the time I had PCS to, uh, again, and, um, um, I had been promotable for about, uh, going on two years. And, um, I was, uh, well, I guess before that point I was, I was frocked and I was, I was made a first start. You guys still there? You know, like, like I mentioned, my last appointment, I was on a core staff, and before that, I worked up at West Point. I worked in a police station up at West Point, so oh, okay. uh, I was, yeah, it, I was away from, um, I was away from that type of army for a while. You know, I wasn't in a battalion. I wasn't, I wasn't in like an, an MTO MP unit where where we were uh, training to go to war type of thing. You know, um, so uh, just I don't know, man. I, I, the, the entire culture during that four-year time period from between the time when I was a I was a platoon sergeant for Campbell to going uh, to, to being a first sergeant it just I I, I, I tell you man I, I, I can't I can't tell you how many times when I was wearing the diamond how many times you'd walk walk past somebody at the PX or something they wouldn't even give you the greeting of the day or wouldn't even acknowledge you and, um, just a different army now way different and uh, um, but I uh, uh, what, what wound up actually getting me, so I, I was actually suspended because 
my my so my motor pool was 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 fucked up quite a bit. My my trucks were, it, so my my sergeant major would call and he would bitch about the the, the trucks being fucked up and trash the trucks and stuff. So finally one day I get pissed and I uh, called a platoon sergeant to my office and I I said get every swinging fucking dick in the motor pool right now, clean that shit up. I was pissed, right? So sure, uh, yeah. anyway, so somebody hears me say that and and of course you know. Um, you can't say that anymore. You can't say those sorts of things. And um, so, you're fucking uh, kidding me. No, are you really? Are you being I'm serious? 100%, right now? I'm a hundred percent serious. Yeah. So it, well, that goes, that goes that goes back with the female private who who is getting fucking disability right now because somebody had a Playboy picture in their area and it traumatized her. She's I, getting I, full I, fucking yeah. disability because somebody had yeah yeah. I I'm sorry I, to uh, interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, 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 absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you're right. It's a very, uh, it's, it's, it's an extremely different culture now. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a dinosaur, uh, you know, at least when I was, I, right, I was a dinosaur right, yeah. at that point. And, um, I, uh, but so I, I got, I got suspended, uh, long story short and an IG complaint was put in that I said that. And, um, so I, uh, by, by nature of, uh, and, and, by, by nature of what had happened, they decided to suspend me. And, and then two weeks later, COVID happens. So mm-hmm. long, long story short here, the investigation took way longer than it should have because nobody's at work. And right, um, right. Um, so because regulatory guidance states that once you – I'm going to misquote it, but when, when you're selected for promotion, you have 25 months to be promoted. From the day you're selected to, to you know, 25 months after that, uh, either the promotion list gets exhausted uh, and you get promoted or if you're flagged like I was because I was I was still under investigation um, you, you don't get promoted so uh, so that's what happened to me I, I my, my uh, 25 month was May 1st of 2020 and uh, my investigation was actually done and completed on the 7th of May so I missed that by four days and, and the real bitch wow is, as I would have, uh, I would have, my number would have came up that next month. So I, if, if, that, if that shit would have waited three weeks down the road, I would have, I would have been a hard strike master sergeant. But, uh, Damn, so, uh, I tried to appeal it. yeah, I tried to appeal it. I had, uh, um, the appeals process was like, uh, uh, my company commander, my battalion commander, my brigade commander all had to write, um, uh, MFR stating, hey, this guy's a good guy. He should still get promoted, et cetera, et cetera. You know, worldwide pandemic, you shouldn't be Inhibited people's ability to complete this investigation, shouldn't keep this guy from being promoted. And uh, December of 2020, HRC came back and basically told me to pound sand, not getting promoted. So at that point, I'm like, well, this is a no brainer, man. I mean, what am I going to Am I going to go be a fucking platoon sergeant? Like, I mean, I'm, come on, what am I going to do? So uh, sure. my mind was pretty much made up for me at that point. And, uh, um, and and truth told, I didn't enjoy being a first sergeant at all. Um, and, and if I'm being honest with myself, and, and I my my performance was pretty lackluster because I didn't enjoy it. I, I didn't I didn't have a good working relationship with my company commander. I uh, um, my heart just wasn't in it because I wasn't I wasn't able to train these guys and lead them the way I wanted to, the way the way I felt like they needed to be uh, trained and led. They're, that. It, uh, well, yeah, of course not. If you're getting if you're getting busted for did you think you'd ever be say, saying swinging dick? Like, yeah, I mean, it's right. one of the most army phrases in the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> you ever think that you're going to be uh, any happier from first sergeant CSM? Well, you know, and that's why um, I've, I've often looked back. 
you know, I, w- I went through a pretty hard time period after that because, again, COVID happened, and uh, you're sitting at home. You got nothing but time to think, and uh, right. so you start you start the bottle way more than you should, and, and right. um, you know it. It, uh, but I, I I look back on that because that was because you're right. I would have competed for sergeant major, and chances are I would have gotten it because I was right. damn good at what I did, and and that's another six seven years in the army right there, and and. Um, this this being the catalyst that forced me out um, turned out for the better, a hundred percent. Yeah, it, it just uh, um, because again, my heart just wasn't in it at that point. And you know, one thing that one important lesson I learned when I was a first sergeant is that you know when you're when you're standing in front of one hundred and forty seven soldiers, it doesn't matter what you say. There's always going to be somebody in that formation that isn't buying what you're selling, and they're not going to, no matter how fair you try to be, no matter how you know, because you got to explain every fucking thing nowadays. You know, you can't just tell kids to do shit. No, they want to know fucking why, right? So, um, you know, that's the thing. That's the change in the culture too. It used to be, you when you when I was a private, you'd show up to work and you had to figure out how to keep Sarge off your ass. Like I, I bet I was slick yeah. haircut. Yeah. My boots better be fucking shiny. My my boot better be creases in my uniform. Because I don't want Sarge digging in my butt. You know. Now Our shaming like, used to be an art, a fine art. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we we went through a we went through a big change in the military. And believe it or not, I mean I wasn't a first sergeant or or even going to be a sergeant major. I mean I, I got my SFC, but um, I come from an earlier army than even you. I went there in '89. Okay, yeah, there you go. And our big things we had were. We were just transitioning out of spec five, six, and seven. Ah, and yeah. the biggest problems we were having was we were telling these socialists that you are now going to be a sergeant. And they didn't have any, no, they didn't have any fucking NCO skills. You gotta right. you gotta you gotta spec seven. No, I wasn't ever planning on being in charge of anyone. <laughs> you gotta you, yeah. you gotta spec seven there who's now going to be a platoon sergeant or a master sergeant. That was yeah. another thing. They were promote their they were promote their spec sevens to eight hard master sergeants. Yeah. And yeah. nobody had any fucking NCO skills. Yeah, and, and you know that's why things were were screwed up in that manner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, all right. So, um, so here you are now. You're a few months removed from 20 years in the army. You're out, and and hopefully this has been a, a fun time to reflect on everything. But looking back at it, um, are you glad you did it? And is there anything you would want to do differently? Um, I'm glad I did it for sure because I, I, you know, I, I've got friends. Well, I, they're not even really friends anymore. I guess people that I know from back in, in the old days <laughs> where I grew up, and and those guys still think it's 1997. You know, they're every once in a while I'll talk to, I'll talk to somebody, and and they'll name drop like like somebody a name that I haven't heard in like over 20 years. I'm like, man, you still hang out with that guy? Like, holy cow! And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I had uh, one of my very good friends. He died. Uh, had a coke overdose. Died back in 2010. Yeah, so it just it, it, a lot of those Yeah, they started getting into heavier stuff, and um, uh, so I, I feel I, I feel that it was uh, it definitely probably saved. If it didn't save my life, it definitely put me on a good trajectory, right? Better than I would have been. Um, what I do regret is. Um, 
you know, over the past 20 years, I was, the army was my God. I mean, that was, I, I, I've been married several times, divorced obviously several times. And, um, yeah, yeah, I see it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Me too. Me too, actually. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on that number now. And, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's so hard because, you know, I, I, I PCS seven times and one, one time I did the math and, and I counted how many, how many places I've had, I've called home over the years. And I'm not talking about like deployments. I'm talking about places that I had either a rental agreement or a landlord, sure. something yeah. or some, and because of moves, forces, deployments, I've had 17 fucking places that I've lived. And, 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 <laughs> and so, you know, when you move that many times and, um, you're forced to make a lot of quick decisions, you know, and, and, sure. and yeah. uh, I, a lot, you know, I, I find myself coming back to the appointments and I like, can meet somebody and I like them and, and uh, Hey, this, this might work. What it's like, well, you need to get married or, or I see you later. And many, many, and there were, there were, there were uh, plenty that I should have just said, see, see you later. And um, um, I didn't. So, um, at least, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I was always, I was always very, very good at the professional stuff the, the, the when I put on the, when I put on a uniform, you know, it's, it, it's even when you're not a drill sergeant, still you're assuming a role and you're taking on, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I, I, uh, I was very, very good at that. My personal life is always, um, always chaotic, you know? And, um, so you know, I, I don't know how you balance that. I know, I know that there met guys over the years that have, um, you know, they got married out of high school and they, you know, guys, guys, my age are the grandfathers now because they have kids, you know, they have kids right away. And, um, and I don't know how the hell they do it, but, um, uh, some, some <laughs> it's guys, definitely a different mentality for sure. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to have like the picket fence and the dog in the yard and, and have I'll, I'll give you uh, when, when we get off of here uh, at the conclusion of this, I'll give you a little bit of story that way you don't feel so bad. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll compare it. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what, man. Um, let's take a quick break uh, okay. and hear from uh, some of the other shows right here on Radio Free Satan. And when we get back, let's jump in to the dreaded S word and find out everything about that. We'll be right back, right here on the official Infernal Legion podcast. Take a trip back to the 1980s with me, Warlock Jeff Ivins, on the Metro Radio Free Satan's show, highlighting the new wave and other hits from the indulgent decade. Only on RadioFreeSatan.com. This is Reverend Gene, the host of Voxitane, exclusively on Radio Free Satan. Join me every week as we indulge in the classical side of music spanning the past 1,000 years. 
Voxatani has already featured over 700 composers covering medieval, baroque, classical, romantic, and contemporary music, including chant, choral, opera, keyboard, and orchestral music, with composers ranging from Gluck to Gilmore, Bach to Bellevance, Talis to Taverner, and Paganini to Pert. Get your weekly recommended dose of classical music right here on Voxatani, only on Radio Free Satan, with me, Reverend Jean. Hail Satan! Attention iTunes users, if you like this show and other programs from Radio Free Satan, then please take a moment to look us up on iTunes to rate and comment on the program. You can also do the same on Stitcher.com. Look up this program on Stitcher.com, rate it, and give us a review. And that's if you like the show, of course, you know, that you want to give it five stars and a good review, not, you know, give it one star and say a bunch of mean things. But hey, if you want to do that, then I'm sure there are a bunch of Christian podcasts on iTunes that you could do that on. Anyway, thank you for your support of RadioFreeSatan.com. And now back to the program. Welcome back to the official Infernal Legion podcast. We are sitting down with our Wicked Warrior of the Month, Sergeant First Class Nick Wallace, retired from the United States Army. Um, We've just heard about his illustrious and sometimes not so much illustrious career. Uh... But let's talk about one of the unifying factors here at the Infernal Legion, and that is the religion and philosophy of Satanism, as set forth by Anton Zandor LeVay. Now, obviously, we just heard about your career in the United States Army, but you wouldn't be sitting here if you were a Satanist. So tell us about that. When did you first discover Satanism? When did you first read the Satanic Bible? Okay, sure. Uh, so, you know, my story is kind of... It's very similar to like a lot of the stories you hear. You know, I, I uh, you know, when I was a very little kid, I was very uh, inquisitive and and um, uh, you know, I, I was skeptical about a lot of things. You know, I mean, I remember I, I grilled my mom about Santa Claus at like the age of six because I'm like, how does he fit down the chimney? Like, no way, you know. And I, so I always had this natural aversion to that sort of the, the fantastical. I just, I, I just, I always, you know, kind of thought of it as bullshit. Anyhow, so I, I think shit me, uh, mom. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that doesn't make any damn sense. Yeah. Sure, I, I was raised uh, Catholic, and um, and even even that, I remember. I remember there's one time specifically when um, the only time I ever went to mass was like Easter Sunday and like like Christmas Eve. I think that was the only time. Yeah, you know, we we were those types of Catholics anyway. And, right. and uh, but I I remember looking at this guy. I'll never forget it because he was bald and the, the way the light was shining off his head. I thought it was kind of funny, but. He just he was like he like looked over at the wife and like he was smiling and I'm thinking man this that's corny like I don't know maybe because my home life wasn't that great or whatever but I just thought man that guy they're full of shit like you know like, like he, he looks so happy now and um, so I I had this natural um, atheistic kind of belief set anyway you know as, as, a, as a young man a very young as a boy and um, and then as I got older you know I was um, very much into metal music and. Uh, yeah, I, I got uh, you know like like listening to like Danzig Slayer, and then I got into the heavier stuff as as I got in high school, like de- you know, Death Metal, Cannibal Corpse, DSI, Vital Remains, those types of bands, and, and to this day I'm still you know hugely into and that's that's half of all I talk about on Twitter is metal stuff, and uh, but you know a huge part of the imagery and uh, that goes hand in metal music is 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 uh, Satan, and and uh, and so I I was very interested in 
what what Satanism is, and and you know, because I'm I'm listening to it in the music, you know, Deicide. That's I mean, all, all this once upon the cross stuff, you know. And so I'm thinking, man. Yeah, yeah. So I think I received my I bought my first copy of the Satanic Bible from a Walden Books when I was like 14 years old, and uh, nice, nice. It's, uh, <laughs> it was not at all what I thought it was going to be. You know, I was thinking I was going to open this thing up and it was going to be talking about like you know. Uh, burning churches and like you know like Blood I, I didn't know what this was. <laughs> exactly you know um, and I, but I tell you it, it, it made shockingly uh, a shocking amount of sense to me because one of the one of the first things that stuck with me was uh, um, when Anton Zander Levay talks about about uh, if a man smite thee on the cheek, smash him on the other, and and I, I always felt like that's that's a, that's a that's a good philosophy to live by, you know, it, 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 eye for an eye, you know, of equal measure, that sort of thing, and but let's tell you this, yeah, and, and where where Satanism for me took a rather than just being an atheist is that is that atheist aspect of Satanism, right, where it's, right. it's it's talking yeah. about not only do I not believe in an afterlife. But I believe that life is a great indulgence and death is a great abstinence. So I, I, I should embrace the carnal. I should appreciate these things that, that everybody seemed to tell me are bad, you know. Uh, but, but why? Why? You know, as long as it's within the confines of a law, you know, and, and between consenting adults or whatever, whatever we're talking about here that, 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 that uh, most organized religion considers sin. Um, it seems like that's always the fun stuff, you know. And I, in and, and, and the prologue of uh, the Satanic Bible, where Anton talks, Doctor Levay talks about, uh, you know, when he was a boy, he worked at the circus and everything. So, and the effect of he would watch men at the circus uh, fawn over half naked women, and the very next day they'd be in begging, you know, right, yeah, because right. yeah, he did the shows on Saturday and the revivals on yeah. Sunday, yeah. The very next Saturday, guess where these guys would be? They'd be back at the car right. doing, the, doing the same shit. And and uh, so the, um, the 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 philosophy really made a lot of sense to me. And I when around how I got into um, the book cult that, that that we belong to, in fact, was sure. around 2015 yeah. or so. I guess um, I you know over the years I kind of lost myself to the army. My my personal interest in things kind of kind of waned because I was always working and stuff and towards towards the last 10 years I really started to focus more on my my interest in my reading music and and and, and things like that. along with that came a rekindling of my interest in satanism and and uh and particularly the church of satan. Um not that other crazy group we won't talk about but uh, <laughs> we uh I remember I watched a video of Kevin I. Slaughter talking. I think he was speaking at a uh, university, and he gives a uh, basically a crash course in in the Church of Satan and with what. Oh, what with, the, speaker, the by the way. Uh, yeah, the, oh, man, I believe it was, was the uh, Satanism as Velton Shaw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. And uh, man, what a what a just astute and succinct to the point uh, speech. And I, I've watched that several times, and and. Uh, um, I, I really enjoyed that. So that uh, really kind of rekindled my uh, my interest in going back and reading the canon again and, 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 and um, a, a lot of the books. So uh, I say I would say I'm not a member of the Church of Satan yet. Uh, and and I, I, part of where the Satanism ties into where I'm at in life right now is kind of a 360 I'm doing in life where I've closed that chapter of my life and now I am back to focusing all on me and and uh right. um so it was it was interesting when you sent me that invite because i was thinking you know this is this is uh 
very appropriate that this is going on right now, you know, um, uh, because I'm, I, uh, I am back to, to worrying about myself. I guess that makes sense. Where, where, where they, whereas sure. before the, the job was, was the boss. Well, the it's, was, yeah, it's one of those. And we've talked about it on the show numerous times with other wicked warriors who've come on and, and discussed it with us. There's, um, we can rationalize, uh, that all of us were in the military serving ourselves, but, that doesn't take away from the fact that one of the values that you're supposed to hold, or at least that your character holds while you're in the military is selfless service. Sure. And sometimes as odd as it may sound to, to outsiders, sometimes you are putting yourself aside for something else. um, Even if the, the long-term benefit is for you as an individual, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's, it's a tightrope that a lot of people have to walk. Um, but I do, I do want to ask because you know you said you had put a lot of this stuff like self exploration and whatnot on the back burner while you were in the military. You had read the book before you were in the military. So how much do you think that that satanic philosophy influenced your military career? Um, I, I would say that it did, and 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 the idea that I I've never. I don't want to sit still. I'm not one. To, I mean, for finally now I'm at a point in life where I enjoy uh, being uh, uh, in one place and living one. But I, I was always um, my attitude was always I could die tomorrow, so I'm gonna fucking live right now, you know. And uh, right. hence the reason I've been married so many times because I've just always had that um, that uh, hey fuck man, let's do it. I'm li- I'm living for the immediate. And um, um, but with that came a lot of good things too because I was I was always seeking new. Uh, new opportunities, new new uh, adventures in the army. So that that uh, I mean that, that that helped me progress through the ranks where I did I did go. Um, and, and again, you know, it, even leading the way I did, uh, I'm still I'm, I'm not happy about that, but I'm very satisfied with where I did go and where I did end up in, in, in the army. Um, well, hey, I mean, twenty years is nothing. nothing sure, twenty oh, years is a, yeah. that's a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, I, I do want to ask you this also. Uh, last we spoke was about a week ago uh, before we recorded this, and, and you said you were going to submit your uh, your application. Did you did you end up getting around to that? No, I haven't yet. Okay. Because um, there's a question we like to ask everybody who submits their application. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fuck you. And so I wanted to see if if we could get there. Yet. But um, but I I know that you are planning on joining the church of. Yes. So, uh, so I do want to ask you, as someone who has, you know, you did twenty years in the military, you've been a Satanist for a long time. You you understand the the philosophy. Uh, what attracts you to the Church of Satan, and what makes you want to join? Well, I think you know, I I understand. I can practice philosophy without without being a, a member of the church, an active member, sure. or, yeah. or even. However, I, I, I also feel that um, that that solidifies that for me. That that's 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 my way of saying that no, this is what I believe. I I, I, I stand by these values, and I also of um, I don't want to uh, like minded people. You know, belong to an organization of people that while while you know we're, we're, we're probably not going to get together and go bowling on fucking Friday or whatever. But, you know, um, and some of us may not even talk. Yeah. To, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I like the idea of, of belonging to 
to people that, that, that think similarly to, to that to, to the way I do. Um, and so I think that's what attracts me to it the most is um, um, one again just to kind of putting the cap on that, saying that you know what, yeah, this is this is me, this is who I am. Um, but also belonging to the organization that, that that exemplifies those those values that I that I believe in and hold dear, you know. So, um, so that 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 answers your question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, so I have to rephrase the question we always ask people submit. Okay. The last question of the show for you: What is your favorite joke? My favorite joke. Oh my lord! <laughs> uh, you 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 will be asked on your application. Your yeah. this, this joke. So we're we're jumping the ball here and getting you to answer it now, <laughs> so you can't lie about it later. <laughs> you know, I. God, it seems like so long since I've heard a damn joke. Um, <laughs> and most of the jokes I know, I probably shouldn't say right now. Anyway, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I think of one right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, well, Padre, I'm think sorry. about it carefully. I will, and uh, and, and fill it out in the application. And when you when you decide to put one on there, just send me a message, and we'll we'll read it live on the next podcast. <laughs> I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, as soon, soon as we get off here, something's gonna come. To there's, a reason, Jeff, <laughs> or, or, there's, there's a reason, Jeff. There's a reason, Nick. They're busting my balls. <laughs> oh, here's, here's one. Here's one that I love. Oh, that, yeah, ah. I love jobs, huh? yeah, dude, my favorite is uh, I always love your mama jokes, man. And okay. uh, yeah, you know, the one like uh, your mom is so fat she irons her pants on the driveway. <laughs> 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 like, uh, uh, what was the other one? Uh, your your, your mom is so fat when she goes to the movie, she sits by everybody. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love I love those, man. That's uh, I know. She lays uh, she lays outside a house. Lays outside of a helicopter, uh, helicopter's daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I always enjoy those. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they're busting my balls. This has been yeah. for years. No, no. Dwayne likes to think that he's a victim of this, but it's it's actually a good idea to compile all the jokes. <laughs> I can totally see a volume. Well, I was going to no, I was doing that. I was actually doing that as a project. People kind of weren't interested, so uh, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But hey, uh, Sergeant First Class Nick Wallace, man, thank you for your service. Uh, thank you for coming on the show and telling us all about your journey and and how all that worked out. Um, I look forward. To you officially getting your red card and and one day uh, officially claiming your title as legionnaire and our little experiment here. Uh, I, I would I would love that definitely. It's it's been an absolute pleasure to to talk with you and to hear about your you know your journey. Like I said, uh, the ups and the downs. A lot of people love to yeah. talk about the ups in the military. Not a lot of them are willing to share the downs, and and that was refreshing to hear some of that from you. So thank you very much for being well, here. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I, I, I really appreciate the invite. I was very humbled to be invited. And, uh, um, uh, what a cool opportunity to be able to talk to you guys and uh, and uh, go down memory lane and and and, yeah. and, and go, you know, talk, 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 talk to some guys who know what the hell I'm talking about. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, 
you don't you don't get that that opportunity very often to by the guys that have been to some of the same places you've been. So yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Right on, man. Well, uh, until next time we talk, which will be a few weeks from now. Uh, Want to say first and foremost to Warlock Jeff Ivans, thank you so much for your long time helping us as producer here. I swear we'll keep making it happen without you, and I'm sure we'll hear from you again. For everyone else, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Veteran Suicide Hotline. Phone number is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-TALK. And as soon as you dial that, you press number 1. Also, you can text to 838-255 for more information, but it is just as effective as chat. Support is free, confidential, and available 24-7. It is available to all servicemen and women, active and inactive, guard or reserve, and available to veterans, family members as well.